your ride ready for spring driving with Dobbs Spring Break Deals. Money saver deals you can use on Goodyear, Pirelli, Cooper, Michelin, and General Tires. Expert auto service, too. Click on GoToDobbs.com for spring break deals now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And O'Neal hits one a ton. Oh, my. Way out of here, and it's one to nothing. Cardinals on the 0-1 pitch. Tyler O'Neal with his 11th home run. And O'Neal hits another, his second of the night. Tyler O'Neal is red hot. Two-run homer, Tyler O'Neal. He gets hot. It can get fun. So uh, it's the right time to do it, too. Alongside Kerry Davis, who's filling in today and tomorrow and Thursday for Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. That's Tanner Hendrickson. That audio courtesy of Valley Sports Midwest. All right. All right. This is starting to get interesting. Over his last 16 games, Tyler O'Neill is batting 300 with a 400 on base percentage and a slugging percentage of 660 in that stretch of 16 games. He has six home runs and seven extra base hits. This is what we've been waiting on all season long. We've seen Paul Goldschmidt hitting at an MVP level. Nolan Arnato has been right there behind him. I would say right now he's probably second in the MVP voting. If the season ended today, Tyler O'Neill, however, has not been the Tyler O'Neill that we saw a year ago. It has not been an MV three with him. Carrie, are you convinced at this point that Tyler O'Neill is back or do you still need to see more from him? Well, I I don't know if you need to see more. He's hitting the ball. He's hit it out the park uh, and doing what we expected him to do. As long as he's not striking out at at, at a frequent rate that he that he has in the past, I I think we'll be in a good position. I I like where the Cardinals are right now. I think when you can win a game 13 to four and your MVP, probably definitely team MVP, but probably NL MVP doesn't have a hit and does a and doesn't, you know, doesn't do anything at the plate at all. uh, And you're still able to win the way you are. They have a lot of things going in the right direction. Their pitching has stepped up. Um, the addition of, of Montgomery is a is a godsend because he obviously bolstered this this starting pitching staff. Um, and and you're seeing guys just play well at an at an elite level. And it was it's just been a change and a shift from the All Star break from where they they kind of well All Star break and from the from the trade deadline where they just kind of started rolling in the right direction. And it's fun to watch Cardinal baseball at this point. And everybody is pitching in. Tyler O'Neill is doing his thing. 
Corey Dickerson suddenly is a contributing yeah, member yeah, of like 11, the baseball 11, team. Even, was it 10 or 11 hits in a row? Yeah, nine in a row. Nine got in a to row. the 10 and, and boom. And, yeah. So you're starting to see everyone do their job. And then you got probably the greatest story in baseball that is not being talked about in Albert Pujols, mm. doing what he's doing, chasing history. Um, it's talked about here, but I think nationally it has not gained the amount of attention that it should. So, yeah, the Cardinals are doing a great job. And, Everyone's doing it, doing what they need what they need to do. Yeah, I think O'Neill's back. I'm not 100. That didn't in. sound very. I, I'm not 100 <laughs> back. I said yesterday, so I can't just jump away from it. After yesterday, I said I need to see another week, and then after two home runs, including even though one was an absolute shot, where I just jump back in 100. percent I still want to see it for another handful of days before I'm completely bought in. But yeah, he looks like the guy where you see Tyler O'Neill's got his batter's eye back where he's taking pitches that are like fastballs up in the zone he's taking he's showing the power again saw the I think his second home run was the breaking ball that was in he's able to get the hands down low and drive that ball out in the left I think he's I think he's very close I, in fact I think he might be back but I just want to see it for a little bit more sustained success before I buy in 100% but if he is and I think the Cardinals are feeling he is because yesterday and I think I mentioned this yesterday on the show Corey Dickerson had been hitting fifth against right-handed pitching. It's no coincidence Tyler O'Neill hit fifth yesterday while Corey Dickerson was in the lineup. Mm-hmm. So I think the Cardinals feel he's close. And if he is getting ready to break out, which I think he's very, very close to doing so, the Cardinals have finally found that big three that we've been talking about against right-handers and against left-handers when Pools is hitting fifth behind Goldie and Arnato. So... Last night, Ollie Marmel was asked about Tyler O'Neill after the game and how he's been taking better at-bats. I think you can tell sometimes with what Ollie is saying where his level of confidence is on any individual players. I know you can bring your coaching background into this, Kerry. Here's what Ollie Marmel said yesterday after the game about O'Neal. When he, like tonight, he laid off that fastball at the top of the zone, which is one at times that he'll chase. It shows you where his plate discipline is. He's starting to shrink it, and when he does that, he puts the bat on the ball. He does damage. So uh, it could be a lot of fun if he gets hot. I think there's some confidence right now that Ollie Marmo believes it's no longer if, but right. when Tyler O'Neill becomes the version that we saw in 2021. And man, if that does happen, if he's right and he's betting on Tyler O'Neill and he said all year, I will bet on Tyler O'Neill. We can't be the best version of ourselves until he is right. If Tyler O'Neill down the stretch can be what he was last year, this team can win the World Series. I, I'm, I'm gonna give you an insight, a little, a little coach speak that Ali just gave Please. us when he said he's laying off the, he laid off the pitch up in the, up in the zone. That is something he has been. They have been telling him without me knowing this. They have been telling <laughs> him this for uh, uh, no one knows how long they have been. Please, that is not the pitch you need to be trying to hit. And for him to say it out loud lets him know that the player is actually taking the advice. He is listening. And now, when you listen to your coaches, what happens? You have success. That's all we ask. You listen to what we tell you. We tell you how to be successful, what to do, when to do it. And when you do that, you tend to have more success than trying to do it your own way. So Ali is seeing that from Tyler O'Neill saying he's laying off of those pitches. He's not chasing after those pitches where those are probably where the majority of his strikeouts come because he's trying to get the Mm -hmm. ball out of the yard. Lay off of it. It's too high. You're not going to hit it out. You're going to pop it up. And do what we ask you to do, and now you're seeing the benefits of what we're what we're talking about. I would say there's probably been a few days spent on the iPads, maybe with a few that have been broken off to the side. I, where it's like, you oh. know, there are times as coaches where the frustration is so overwhelming from players just not listening that you tend to, you know, 
throw things, break things. And it's not at all. It's just an emotional yeah. response yeah. to wanting your guys to be successful. And if they listen to you, they will be. And if not, you're going to lose and not play well. So I don't know from personal experience. I'm just yeah, saying. Yeah. From, just from, you know, theoretically just, speaking, just, you, you know, know, just from seeing from the outside looking in. 65780, you play for the you played in the NFL, you won a Super Bowl, you understand how this goes. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line from the 618. So is BK ready to give Tyler O'Neill an 8-year contract extension oh, now that he's had a good 3-game stretch? No, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not That's making that mistake move, again. Though. However, I, I am willing to say like I'm starting to come around on the notion that this is real from Tyler O'Neill. I went la- back last night and Care, you've known me in long enough to know I'm going to give you all the nerdy numbers. Okay. <laughs> and I, I did all the research, so we don't have to give the exact numbers on here. But I can tell you, like, the batted ball numbers from Tyler O'Neill from last year versus the batted ball numbers this year from what we've seen from him since he got back into the lineup on August 2nd, they're damn near identical. Okay. And in some ways, better this year. So this is now no longer a, a crazy small sample size. This has been happening almost for a month and a half, two months now. If this version of Tyler O'Neill is real, guys, I'm starting to get excited about what this can mean for the Cardinals down the stretch. So, yeah, I I need to give it another week or so because I'm not all the way there. Let's give it a let's give it. Let's let's not jump all the way on on, off the porch and and be ready to go. Let's let's kind of can we can we stick our toe in the water and kind of kind of test it and make I'm sure it's Carrie good there. to get in. I'm Before, ready. Because, BK, you seem to me as the type of person to just dive into the pool and not check if there's water in there at all. Like and I'm pool, going head first, too. Yeah, yeah. Pool, diving board, yeah, it's got to be full, right? Let's dive in. So let's let's just stick our toe in the water. Let's see. Let's kind of ease our way in. And, and then, once you realize it's safe and there's it's full of water, we can jump in and have a good time. I don't Can know, man. Do I feel like I'm ready to oh, jump Lord. on it. We'll find out. <laughs> the water might be scalding. It might be oh, freezing. No. There might not be any water. But I'm, I'm kind of feeling like I'm ready to jump full bore, ready to go into the water. It, It's just very exciting to think about what this team could be if you have all three of O'Neal, Goldie, and Arenado going at the same time. And oh, by the way, now you've got pinch- pitching that you mentioned right. earlier. You've got Corey Dickerson, who's a complimentary piece at the top of your lineup right now. It's like completely beside the point that Brendan Donovan's getting on base right now for the last month at a 50% clip. That's pretty good. It's unbelievable. Like that, that doesn't happen. And he's doing it for the second time this year over the stretch of a month. And oh, by the way, you've got this sideshow that Albert Pujols is yeah. going for 700 and it's no longer just against lefties. Like he's hitting tears me to pieces, but he's actually hitting pretty well against right-handed pitchers at this point as well. Like I, I don't know how you, you mentioned earlier, it's fun to watch Cardinals baseball right now. I don't know if you are a Cardinals fan, how you could not enjoy the hell out of watching this team because everything feels like it's starting to come together. It does. And, and, and like I said, after, after the trade deadline, it kind of things started to fall into place the, the correct way. We were so up in arms about not getting a, a big splash trade and, you know, the Cardinals management organization knew what they needed to do. What they needed was left-handed pitching, starting pitching to help bolster that, that rotation. And they felt that they were comfortable enough with what they had, you know, in the lineup to not have to go out and chase and, and lose some things in your in your farm system, not have to trade away some big pieces that maybe uh, help you down and around in the future. So I'm just I am I am 
ecstatic. I, I, I enjoy watching it. It's fun. You expect to see the ball going out of the ballpark. And, and the thing that I think gets lost in all this, obviously Arenado doing his thing, Goldschmidt doing his thing. You got Tyler O'Neill coming up. But every time Albert Pujol steps to the plate, you feel like the ball is going to go out of the park. Yep. And that is something that has been lacking here since he was, you know, MVP candidate year after year after year earlier in his career when he was before he left for Anaheim. It's so much fun to, to, to expect good things to happen. When you are on bad teams, normally you feel like bad things are just going to happen. But when you are on a good team or watching a good team or a fan of a good team, you expect great things to, to take place every time. And the dozens of fans that are at the ballpark later the today at, yeah. at Cincinnati, yeah. they're going to enjoy it. And they're, they're going to they're yeah, be Cardinals nice. fans. I'll take a shot at Cincinnati like that. <laughs> Dude. It was rain delay. That's why nobody was here. I would imagine you've played in some some football stadiums where you arrive and you're like, this is what we got today? I will tell you this. I have been in stadiums when I played for Pittsburgh that we had more fans than the home team did. When we were traveled to certain cities, there would be more black and gold. And it wouldn't, I mean, it would be packed with Steelers fans. It wasn't empty. It would be packed with more Steelers fans than that opposing team. And to me, you know, I, I was blessed and fortunate to, to play in those type of situations. I would lose my mind if I played for an organization that they did not show up and did oh. not support the team. And to be fair, like, I wouldn't want to support that team either right now. Why would you, you look up and down that lineup and it's like, Donovan Solano's your <laughs> third best player, second best player right now. It's, it's ugly. Um, but man, there were... Not very many people at that ballpark last night. Alongside Kerry Davis, that's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie coming up in 15 minutes. I've got two Illini. I'm I'm outnumbered today on the show. I've got two Illini fans in the studio with me. And they looked good. Like credit where it's due. They looked good in week number one. Is this real? We'll talk about that coming up in 15 minutes. Also, I got to get a Mizzou thought in there at the back end of that segment. But coming up next, Katie, Katie Wu joins the show, including her bold prediction for the second half. That seems to be coming true. We'll talk about that next with Katie coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I do say that Corey Dickerson turns around in the second half. That's right. Book it. Write it down. Dickerson, another base hit. He's nine for his last nine. Here comes Donovan. One to nothing Cardinals. Corey Dickerson is on fire. That is bolder than Greg Amzinger saying that Pools is going to hit 22 home runs in the second half of the season. Dickerson lines it out to left. Six nothing Cardinals. That'll go all the way to the Ivy. And Corey Dickerson, his second hit, he's two for three tonight. I do not think it's bold, and I stand by it. I am very convicted in this. Big chopper, softly hit. This game is tied. Swanson has to eat it, and we're even at five. Donovan scores. Dickerson puts it in play, and we are right back where we started. That audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest and Fox Sports. Corey Dickerson is on a heater and alongside Super Bowl champion Kerry Davis and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. We are going out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line right now to give credit where it is due. And that is with Katie Wu. She's the Cardinals insider for The Athletic. You can follow her on Twitter. She is at Katie J. Wu. Katie, Corey Dickerson in the month of August is batting 431 with an OPS over 1,000. Congratulations. You were right and we were wrong. That's right. Book it. Write it down. You guys will never have an open better than that one. I'm not gloating or anything. Maybe I am. 
Um, but no, seriously, on a real note, Corey Dickerson's resurgence has been key in what has been, has been a key part in what has been many key parts for the St. Louis Cardinals team in August. And one of many fun things to watch for this Cardinals team, for sure. So Corey Dickerson is one part of the outfield that is working right now. Is Tyler O'Neill another? Is is he officially back at this point, Katie? I mean, okay, let's let's uh, let's dream for a little bit. Tyler O'Neill has certainly looked much better at the plate. And uh, you're going to listen and be like, well, yeah, duh, Katie. He had three home runs in the last two games. But when you look at his plate approach and his at-bats and the quality of them over the last two weeks or so, even when they weren't necessarily being reflected Results-wise in the box score, they've looked a lot better. A good sign that Tyler O'Neill is about to turn the corner offensively is when he starts working the walk rate. We know that Tyler is a guy that generates a lot of swing and miss. That's part of his swing profile. That's fine. But when he starts working some walks on the quality of bats, even if it's, you know, a routine ground out to 6-3, but he took a lot of pitches and was selective, that's a sign that he's coming around. That's what Ollie Marmol has seen from him over the last couple of weeks. That's why he got so many starts in center field and a way to keep him in the lineup. And now we're seeing the Tyler O'Neill that I think Cardinals fans came to expect right on time. Looks like he's heating it up. And can you imagine this Cardinals lineup if you have a resurgent Tyler O'Neill in September? Yeah, that was, uh, Katie, that was one of the things we just heard Ali say was Tyler's laying off the high fastball. And, and that may be something that he was harping on with him to, to, to make sure that he was not chasing after that to put more balls in play and to not have so many strikeouts. Have you, have you seen that from Tyler in these last few at-bats as well? Absolutely, Kerry. I've seen that. You know, I saw that was evident in Chicago when I think the high fastball is key. I mean, Tyler O'Neill is a power hitter. If he sees a heater that he likes, he's going to put a good swing on it. The, the difference for me is a, a heater that he likes versus a heater that he can do damage with. And that, to me, is when you can find pitch selection from Tyler O'Neill at his finest. Certainly has been able to kind of turn the corner in that regard over the last week or so. When you have a lineup that already has Lars Newbar and Brendan Donovan, who I think have been a little bit underrated in terms of lineup construction, and their ability to get on base. You have Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. We know what those guys can do. And then you have Tyler O'Neill either right in front of them or right behind them. I mean, I think it completely changes the lineup and how you pitch to all four hitters I just mentioned above. And it really elongates the rest of the lineup through and through. So certainly, if you're a Cardinals fan, what you've seen from Tyler O'Neill lately has to be exciting. We're talking to Katie Wu here on 101 ESPN. Katie, another home run last night for Albert Pujols. It feels like every night he's doing something that's never been done before. This time, uh, he now breaks the record for the most number of pitchers that any player has ever hit a home run off of. There's a righty on the mound tonight for Cincinnati. Do you just throw him out there again because you're at Great American Ballpark and see what he can do out there? I mean, at this point, I would hardly blame Ollie to do that, but I also understand the reason why we've seen Albert be so successful the second half. BK, I know this is a hill you die on as well. It's because... I think I have died on that hill, actually. <laughs> I, think, I think actually, you're right. I think it's already happened. Uh, the splits that Ollie has used against with left-handers and Albert in that role has worked. Now I get Great American Ballpark, Hitters Park, you know, I don't even know how he homered yesterday on that 0-2 pitch outside the zone that he extended for. I mean, no normal human could do that, the strength that that took. And that wasn't even a, a great American ballpark home run either. I looked it up, and it would have been a home, a home run in, I think, 23 out of 30 ballparks. Mm. So, sure, I get the, the enticing ability to do that, but the Reds also have a lefty going tomorrow. So, I mean, if he's in there, I don't think anyone will complain, but I think a big reason why Albert has been so successful past the All-Star break is because he's been used in spots he can be successful in. Now, Katie, I have the question that, that all St. Louisans want to know, and I think you can give us insight. Does he get 700? I'm all aboard. I'm all aboard <laughs> on the 700 train. I mean, 
I, I'm all for for the story, right? Like I'm yeah. a writer, so I, I love a good story. But I think if you take that part out of it, I I think he really gives it a run, especially if the Cardinals. I mean, you can never speak out of turn. We don't know what's going to happen in September. We look at last year as Cardinals weren't supposed to make the playoffs at all, and then they won 17 games in a row, of course. So I'm not going to go out and speak out of turn. But if the Cardinals go ahead and keep up this play, and the Brewers keep up their trajectory. Cardinals have a chance to walk up the division with some significant time in the regular season remaining. I think if that happens, you'll start seeing Albert playing every day to really maximize his ability to get to 700. But I know the city of St. Louis is unabashedly rooting for him to get there, and I certainly get it. I mean, why not? What a way to end a first ballot, in my opinion, Hall of Fame career. Weird start last night for Miles Michaelis, Katie. Um, And there's kind of two ways to look at this. In his last eight starts, so since the All-Star break, he's allowed 31 earned in 48 innings, and that sounds concerning. However, 20 of those 31 earned came in three starts combined at Great American Ballpark and at Coors. What's your level of concern right now with Miles Michaelis? You know, BK, when you first said that stat, I like, got like a red alert. I was like, am I missing something? <laughs> <laughs> But then I remember them. I immediately thought about the Coors fiasco, mm-hmm. and I remember you know he pitched that in Cincinnati a couple times before. No, I'm not concerned about Miles Michaelis at all. Literally, not even close. He's been a workhorse all season long. I, I'm I know when you look at the ERA that way, people, you, you, it's easy to be like, um, okay, what's going on? But you just have to take that Coors Field outlier out of it. Maybe he's suffering a bit of the Adam Wainwright curse in Cincinnati. But no, Miles Michaelis has been dominant. I think he's been one of the most underrated pitchers in the National League. I mean, he has, I believe, the top five lowest walk rate in the National League. That is so imperative, given how, how big the Cardinals stress just throwing strikes. No, I'm not worried about it. If the Cardinals started a three-series playoff team, or a three-game playoff team today, playoff series today, cannot speak, obviously. I would put Miles Michaelis second in that. Um, no concerns at all for him. Well, we are we are excited to hear that, and I think he was doing well up until the fifth inning, where he just kind of blew yeah. up and and gave up those home runs. I thought the game was later than that. It just seemed like the game was going for so long. That's not a concern. What is a concern for the Cardinals starting pitching? Are there any concerns with the with the additions that they've had and what you've seen from Michaelis and Wainwright? No, I really don't think so. And honestly, I think that that at bat with TJ Friedel, that eleven pitch at bat that resulted in the home run was ultimately just kind of the, the tipping point for Michaelis. I think it could have gone either way at that point. But when you're looking at the rotation as a whole, I think right now you're, you're, there's probably some concerns about Dakota Hudson, although he did look really, really good in his last start at Wrigley Field last week, pretty more indicative of what the Cardinals expected him to look like. I mean, you have stability in this rotation for the first time in a very long time. And with an offense as resurgent as the Cardinals is, with their pretty consistent defense and their ability to win games in different ways, stability from the starting rotation is all you needed. Now, there are a couple of questions coming up, of course. Jack Flaherty is going to start his looking like his final rehab start with Double A Springfield tomorrow. Cardinals are looking to activate him September 5th, return him to the major league rotation against the Nationals. There's a lot of question marks about Jack Flaherty, but if you can see something that is any close to the dominance that he showed in early 2021 before that oblique injury, that completely changes the trajectory of the rotation, in my opinion. I understand there's been a little bit of frustration from Flaherty's uh, standpoint from the fans. There's been plenty of frustration for this season from his standpoint (laughs) as well, right? But I think if you're looking for one more boost, I mean, you've seen what Jose Quintana and obviously Jordan Montgomery have done for this rotation. If you get a Jack Flaherty that is healthy, that's to me, a playoff caliber pitcher immediately returning back to your rotation. And I think that will be, in my opinion, what solidifies my belief in this team making a deep run come October. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. With Flaherty returning and the starting pitching the way that it is, 
is there really an opportunity for us to see NLCS World Series out of this team the way that they're playing? I mean, they certainly believe so. I think how they've approached August and how they've stacked up against good teams, not even teams that are over 500, but teams that are looking like locks to be playing in October, that has really been indicative to me about where they, they are standing because when you think about how they're playing in the first half, they really weren't doing much against 500 teams. They were actually losing a good majority of those games. They didn't look like a team that could make it past the wild card round. Now, in August alone, they swept the Yankees, took two or three from the Brewers, and took two or three from the Braves. To me, that Braves series was their most impressive series win of the season because I think the Braves are they get a little bit overshadowed because they're in the same division as the Mets, but that is a really good, in my opinion, possible World Series caliber team. I think if the Cardinals can stay healthy and keep up their different ways of winning, that's key for them. They're not overly reliant on the home run. They're not overly reliant on starting pitching. They have one of the best closers in the game, so if they have a lead in the ninth, they feel pretty good about it. I think if they can just keep up their health and they're aided by a, a Flaherty return that's ideal, that completely changes this team. And I, I think that you could see, you know, NLCS World Series in their in their reaches. Katie, final question. I apologize that we're going to send you out on what is potentially a negative note. However, I do got to ask you, Yadier Molina is batting 180 since his return to the lineup on August 2nd. There are 242 players that have taken as many plate appearances since he returned to the lineup as Yadier Molina has. There's only one that has a worse OPS than Yadier Molina in that stretch of those 242. Are we going to continue seeing the same split between Yadi and Kisner down the stretch that we have been seeing previously? Or do you think Kisner, because he has actually been hitting well lately, gets more of an opportunity down the stretch? I think this is a two-part answer, and the question's totally fair. In fact, it's been asked. What question was asked last week, and I asked about Yachty's performance pregame yesterday as well, just to get a better feel about the situation. One, Andrew Kisner has been hitting the ball much more consistently, much better in the second half, and I think that gets a little overshadowed just because we don't see him play as consistently. So it's not always as fresh in our minds. I asked Ollie just what he felt about Yachty or Molina yesterday, and he said, regardless of anything, quote, I'm betting on Yachty in September. So, and that's certainly right. I mean, I know that there's no factual evidence to go off of this, but when you're thinking about people that step up in September, you think about your leaders. This has obviously not been the ideal season for Yachty. He's battled through injuries, personal stuff. There was a basketball thing. Okay. But I think that whole staff feels the same way. Adam Wainwright said it. You ask anyone in that clubhouse, they talk about his presence, his impact on the team. Sure, he's not doing it offensively. They have they are so convicted that he will impact the team in September that they're not necessarily worried about what he's doing doing at the plate right now. And honestly, there are very few players that I can justify that reaction for, but Yachty is one of them. We're gonna see the same split. We asked Ollie the same way, you know, how he feels about the playing time between his two catchers, especially with Kisner's uh, offensive performance heating up. And he really likes the way that they they have the playing time. Kisner does a really nice job in catching Miles Michaelis. That's probably when you're going to see him. You'll see Kisner again usually after a, a night to day game turnaround or a you know a big stretch. Cardinals are finishing 17 in a row, so we've seen Kisner a little bit more. But when you're looking at September, when you're looking at the postseason, there is so much confidence. And this is not to say there's no confidence in Andrew Kisner because that's not true at all. But there is so much conviction that Yadier Molina will pull through for this club because he always has. So that's what the Cardinals are relying on. And again, BK, very rarely can I like can I make a, a case for that. But in this case, I 100% understand. Yeah, and I love that you can just say, and then the basketball thing. And we all know exactly <laughs> what you're referencing. That <laughs> it's is, been the weirdest couple of months, hasn't it? It, it really has. All of this has happened literally in the last six weeks. Like six it's, weeks ago, oh we were gosh. talking about Paul Goldschmidt and uh, Nolan Arenado not making the trip to Toronto. 
and Albert Pujols and Yad, or, and Adam Wainwright had that crazy game in that second one against Toronto, and then everything else has changed from there. It's It has been a wild, wild second half of the season. Katie will be paying attention to all of your coverage over at The Athletic and following you on Twitter at Katie J. Wu. All the best to you up in Cincinnati, and we'll talk with you again next week. BK, Carrie, T-Dog, thanks so much for having me, and thanks again for that open. I'll be playing it on repeat as I walk to the ballpark. <laughs> you got it. That and Taylor Swift. We'll, we'll talk with you again soon. Exactly. <laughs> thanks, guys. You got it. That's Katie who joining us here on 101 ESPN. Did she just call you T-Dog? Yeah, T-Dog. There you go. What do you What do you think about that nickname, eh, T Dog? It's fine. It's not T Bone. I'm not going to change the Twitter handle to okay. T Dog, but T Bone's a <laughs> real stick nickname. Still going T Bone? Yeah, we'll we'll have T Dog be like my ballpark. Maybe we'll name. put that up there on the go. 101 ESPN app. Uh, the poll: T Dog versus T Bone. Which one do I, we prefer? I like T Dog. Uh, see, I've already branded as T Bone. Oh, Sorry. okay. <laughs> Rebranding it's a whole thing. It's kind of it's difficult. Too much, I've heard. It? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Heard. That's fair. <laughs> All right. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll get to questions and answers. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. But next. Hey, Gary, is, is Illinois going to be good this year? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Says, all right, all right. You guys can go ahead and glow. Yeah. You beat Wyoming. My team loses to Wyoming in the home opener or in the season opener. I get it. That's the best song I know. One of them. The Illini are 1-0. and We'll give them their credit. They beat Wyoming in the first week of the season, 38-6. to And oh, by the way, with Kerry Davis, he's a Super Bowl champion and an Illinois alum. That is Tanner Hendrickson. He's just an Illinois fan. And I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. I got to say, I was impressed. I know Wyoming's no good, but Illinois not only won, they covered. Good teams win, great teams cover, credit where it's due. Carrie, how much can we take from that game, though? And it, it, It's the first game of the year. You are supposed to win that game against that team at home. Um, they passed for 30 yards. I'm speaking of Wyoming. I, I believe that was around that. That was the number. So that you're they saying Josh for. Allen's no longer at Wyoming? No, he's not, actually. <laughs> Last time I checked, he's doing pretty well in the, in the NFL with the Buffalo Bills. Uh yeah, I, I wouldn't get too excited just yet. You need to see a team. You need to see them versus a, a, a tougher task, maybe on the road in an environment that is. Um, so, like, say at Indiana next for weekend, that might be a, a, a challenge or a test night game on the road against a, a, a conference opponent. That would be a team where I, if they come out and handle business, run the ball as effectively as they did on Saturday, I would say, okay, here we are. Let's 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 see how we're how we're going to finish out this season. How this season is going to go. Tanner, have you seen the line on this game? It is last I saw was three and a half for Indiana. Yep, Matt, that's two and a half now. Indiana is a two and a half point home favorite against Illinois. Somebody knows something. It dropped. If if Illinois wins this game, what does it tell you, Kerry? It and I know, like, it, we've still got a few days. We'll be talking about this in the next couple of it days. It tells but. me that they beat Indiana. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't. I'm not one At of the people. At that point, though, you've got a sh- I, real you, shot to I'll go you, start 4-0. Listen, listen, BK. I, I am an Illini through and through. I have I have been here. And by here, I mean the excitement, the sheer joy. I remember. I don't remember what year it was, but we started off 6-0. and 
And I told one of my close friends who who went to Illinois with me, who lives in, in Atlanta, he said, CD, you got to get up there. You got to get to a game. We 6-0. We play Ohio State. You got to go, CD. You I think this go. was a few years ago. This, I think I was, was doing a show with was, you at that point in time. And, and, and so I'm, I'm, I let my good friend, Mike Dean, talk me into going to see our Illini versus the Ohio State. And we got dragged through the mud. And, and then we went to proceed on to lose the next six games in a row, and we finished six and six. So I say that to say this. As an Illini fan, I know how to, what we talked about earlier, just stick my toe in the water. I refuse to dive in head first. I won't. I refuse to do it. I love my Illini. But it's one of the hardest things I've ever done in life is being an Illini fan. I feel you on that. That is me as a Mizzou fan. You you (laughs) understand. So I, I will, with cautious optimism, Go into this game on Saturday night versus Indiana and see how well we can perform. If they win on Saturday, though, Kerry, your team has a real shot to start 4-0. Oh, I, w- I wouldn't rule out the Virginia game. They got slaughtered last year by Virginia. They did. I mean, you should beat Virginia, though. You should. If, if you're, I thought that last year, too. <laughs> Actually, it's, is it Friday night? September? Uh, yeah, September Friday night. Friday night. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll Thursday see. Thursday night, Mizzou, Friday night, uh, Illinois, and at Indiana. And then Saturday, you got all the great week one games in, in college football. It's going to be a good weekend in college we, football. We will see once this game takes place how well they come out, how, how, how they perform in that environment under the lights versus a Big Ten opponent. I, I, I don't take too much, into, too much stock into beating Wyoming at home. That's fair. It, it's, not a, it's not a team that, that, puts, that strikes fear into you. So let's see what they do against a conference opponent at home, I mean, on the road at night in that environment, and let's see how it goes. Come on, Kerry, there's water in this pool. I jumped in already. Yeah, there's you, water you, in you here. You swim around and let me yeah, know it's safe. it feels good. Yeah, okay, I, I'll check it out on my own time. I don't. <laughs> I, I trust you and believe you, T-Bone, but I'm going to hold off right now. It's just a little bit much for me. I, I will say this. I, I agree with Kerry. I don't think there's a lot to read into that, but Chase Brown is the reason I'm kind of buying into it because he looks like a legitimate stud at, at running back for the fighting line, and I know they're going to be running the ball. Quarterback, I still have questions about because Yeah, we know Bielema's going to be running. Yeah, you definitely. Definitely. And the fact of the matter that, look, they won 38 to 6, and I was interested to see what this Tommy DeVito looks like coming from Syracuse. I mean, he was good, 27 to 37, good completion percentage, but he didn't throw the ball deep a lot, had a 45 QBR. And they're going to need to establish that if they're going to beat some of these teams in the Big Ten. I think Indiana's in a down year again, so it'll be interesting to see how they do. If they win this one, to me, it's kind of what I thought the Rutgers game was going to be last year, where it's okay, here's the game that they can win. They're going to build this momentum and go on to a bowl. And they lost we, that we game. Don't, we don't speak about the Rutgers game because we beat we beat Penn State at Penn State, yep. and then we did the most Illini thing, lost to Rutgers. And I think that's it's not the same coming. Wyoming's not Penn State, who was ranked in the top twenty-five, but it feels kind of like one of those games where it's like, okay, I feel like they definitely should win this one. It feels like a game uh, they can they, win. You just gave us the answer, then didn't they you? can't go lay an egg. <laughs> this, this is this is your UTSA game from last year. Yeah, you got to win it because the we first lost. week. I, I know uh, I'm saying it's going to go differently <laughs> this time oh, around. Oh, okay, okay. For, first week you beat Nebraska. I was like, all right, I don't, I understand Nebraska is no good, but. This is a game that in the past, Illinois found a way to lose. And they won that game. And then you go into week two, and everybody knew UTSA was one of those weird teams where it was like, all right, they're more talented than they should be at UTSA. Illinois is going to have a tough time here, but can they find a way to win it? I don't care what you win by. Win by two, win by three. It doesn't matter. Just Just find a way to win. Just win. That's kind of how I feel about this Indiana game. Just find a way to win. I don't care how you do it, but you got to get a win in this one. And then we can talk about Virginia and what they're able to do there, but... It, it has a chance to at least be better than expected. I, I thought this was going to be a down year for Illinois. I didn't know how week one was going to go. I would have taken Wyoming with the points, to be I, honest with you. But 
I, I felt like we would beat Wyoming if we lost to Wyoming in the opener, in the home opener. I didn't think they it were It was owners. really going to be a long year. But we have some some tough tasks. I mean, we're at Wisconsin. We play Virginia the week after Indiana. Mm-hmm. Uh, we play Iowa, who is always well-coached, well, you know, they're just a very good football program. Minnesota has always given us trouble. We go to Nebraska. Maybe you take care of business there because— You should. This Nebraska we, team stinks. You, 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 well, they were up on Northwestern until they, they decided to kick it off. not very good, too. <laughs> Northwestern is—well, they beat us often, so uh, what does that tell me? I, you, are not, you all are not helping me in this situation. It's, there's a lot going on for me in this moment. Uh, at Nebraska, you play Michigan State at home. Uh, then you got Purdue, who is going to be a very good team again. And then you're at Michigan, and then you finish off at Northwestern. If you beat Indiana, you're going to a bowl. Let's go. I take that. I remember last That'd time I saw a season. Bowl game. That'd be a okay. good year. All right. I, I, I when we go when they sign us up for the bowl when they post it on the screen and says the Illini are playing in this bowl game. I yeah, it'll take, be the I Independence Bowl. Like I, I'm not I, telling you, game is a bowl game. Bowl game is a bowl game. So you know, yeah, I, I just don't think that uh, you know, five and six teams or six and seven teams deserve bowl games. They should be at home. Hopefully, we have a winning record. And and not six and six right at five hundred. Let's be over five hundred. Carrie, I'll I'll make you feel better here. I'm gonna make the bold prediction now. Illinois will go into Wisconsin and win that game. Can we? Can that's we? That's my surprise. This? That's my surprise pick on the Illinois schedule. Where, like, I feel you like there's always the, one game. You think Illinois is? Illinois going has in- just, historically in the last couple of years played Wisconsin very oh, okay. well. Can we save this? Yeah, go All ahead. Right, All right, save it. Wisconsin right. has a good quarterback. So okay. Coming up <laughs> in fifteen minutes. <laughs> I can't believe you just said that they're going to beat Wisconsin Circle on the road. Circle it on your calendar, all, folks. October 1st. If it was in Illinois, maybe. At Wisconsin? Oh, you think they're taking down Michigan State? I'm going to that game. Okay. Coming up in 15 <laughs> minutes, we're talking to a former Blues forward who's now the Arizona Coyotes play or Director of Player Development. Excited for that, but next questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Comfort service tax slide for questions and answers coming up in about 10 minutes or so. We're talking to the former NHL forward, former Blues forward, Lee Stempniak. He's now working with the Arizona Coyotes as their director of player development. He'll join the show coming up at noon, but let's start with some questions and answers. Carrie, let's start with this one from the 314. Hey guys, I saw yesterday that Mizzou might have an all starting St. Louis backfield. Brady Cook, Schrader, Burden, Mookie Cooper, and Dominic Lovett. Carrie, for somebody like you that is from St. Louis, how much does this matter to the up-and-coming kids seeing an all-St. Louis backfield potentially? Well, it, it means everything for the kids that are here still in high school and for the Mizzou program because if you are able to get the kids to stay in your hometown, go to your home, your state school, it helps out with your recruiting. St. Louis is, is, is so rich with so much talent here that you know you have schools coming from Ohio State and Alabama, LSU, all of these guys coming from all over the country to pluck your kids. If you want to compete at a national level in the SEC, 
Mizzou has to keep their kids, their 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 best kids in-state and allowing them to stay at home and go play at that school. It's an hour and a half, hour away, depending on where you live in the city, and it is an opportunity for your family, for your friends to come watch as opposed to going to, you know, USC or Michigan or, you know, all of these other schools that are hours away and, and, and a flight. It's an hour and a half drive for you. So it's a, it's it helps the Mizzou program continue to build and it allows those high school kids to say, hey, we don't have to go to out-of-state schools to win national championships or to compete or go to the NFL. We can stay right at home. And it, it, it's beneficial for both sides. Yeah, it, I saw earlier this year um, the in-state class for Missouri, and I'm sure you've seen this, Kerry. There are more blue-chip recruits, if you want to call it that, based on rivals' rankings mm-hmm. this year in the state than there has been at any point in their rankings, and they've been doing this since 2000. So there is a lot of in-state talent right now in the state of Missouri. Yeah, there's a reason, like I said, where you have kids going to Florida and going to LSU and going, you know, all different places around the country, nationally prominent programs. If Mizzou wants to be elite on that level, and, and it's the same thing with Illinois. I, yeah. I've said that same thing. The state of Illinois and, and the city of Chicago and the city of St. Louis, even for, for Illinois fans, those are areas that you should recruit. Um, Mizzou has done a good job lately. I think for a few years they were down in Texas a lot and bringing a lot of those guys up. And I'll say this, the same thing that I say because Illinois is in the state of Florida right now searching for those guys. Just because a kid is a three-star in the state of Florida or a three-star in the state of Texas does not make him a four-star in the state of Missouri. There are they, Those kids can either play or they can't. And there are play, players and kids in, in other states outside of Missouri that cannot play, but because they are in those states, the perception is that they are going to be better players. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. This one comes from the 618. Hey, guys, I have Serena Williams and my top 100 athletes of all times. I've got a question for you. Where top would 100? You, top 100 athletes of all time. Where would you rank her? Let's... Let's go like the last 20 years in terms of dominance. Well, I, I think top 100 is a given. If you 100%. top 10 in athletes, as far as I, I don't care what sport it is. I don't care male, female. The dominance that she has shown in her sport is is it, it compares to really no one. I mean, she has been probably the most dominant player in the, in the sport of tennis, male or female, just being able to do what she's done. So, I mean, if you look at top 100 athletes, of course, but top 10, Possibly top five. Who? Who? Michael Jordan. Got, yeah, Tiger. Tiger. Michael. Uh, Phelps. I was gonna say Phelps is okay, up there for when he dominated. If you want to put Usain Armstrong Bolt, in there, but he's a do, cheater. So it, it, Usain Bolt. If you want to do sure. his dominance in, in in track and field, and his was short. His it was, was it was a sh- but it was, it so was it's different. But it was it was while he was there, he 100%. was there. Um, but who else? Who else would you say in their respective sport? Was able to dominate. Brady. I was gonna say Tom Brady. Brady. Okay, Manning, we're at, what, but I guess six? he didn't dominate. As yeah, much. he didn't win as many. Yeah, I mean you're yeah. at five now, and then if you include Serena, that's would six. Would you put like Kobe, LeBron up Nadal, there? Maybe I wouldn't say Kobe or LeBron. LeBron maybe, See, but I, I would say not as dominant in his field as Serena is. Uh, she pro- has done. I, I don't mean because she's done something that maybe never will be done again. I, I don't think you can put Nadal up there because he gets blended with the other big three, with yeah. Djokovic yeah. and Federer, yeah. so it's hard to really put him up there, but I, I mean, I would agree he'd be up there for sure, but he, I don't think he'd be as high as Serena. I think she's definitely top five, but just the way top she five, dominated. Top five, top ten, and, and I, I will say this, if she was a male dominating her sport that way, we would probably say one or two. Yep. And I think that's really the only reason that most people don't consider her that he said he or she said a top 100 that that's 
definite, but top 10, top five, if that is a man playing that sport, I think we don't even think about it twice. And the other amazing thing about Serena is, like, when you think of, like, some athletes who, like, come in like Brady, it kind of transcends that position or whatever it is. It's like, okay, well, now more people are going to play like him. You look at Serena. Serena came up and she dominated because she was so powerful. She just overpowered the whole field. And now that she's ending her last tournament at the U.S. Open, there's still not a lot of female tennis players that – have just pure power. A lot of them are still finesse hitters. They don't. They don't have that power that right. Serena had. It's like she was a unicorn, and it's still going to be a unicorn by the time she retires because no one else has kind of taken that trend that she tried to set. It's kind of like Steph. Like in basketball, yeah. a lot of people are trying to imitate what Steph did, and she they can, can do, do it, it to a degree, but nobody's going to be Steph. Right. Like that's that's one of one, and to do it at his size, his stature, like it's. You just don't see it, and you probably never will again. Like, what we're watching is just that special and that unique. The other thing with Serena, like, you mentioned the word transcend. She transcended sports. Indeed. Like, everybody knows who Serena Williams is and the Williams sister. She has a freaking movie that was made about her childhood. Which was amazing to see the upbringing, how, how the whole thing started. And how you know her father put her sister Venus as the yep. as the one to go out first and get it started, and then he knew that Serena would be the one to to be the best, the greatest of all time. Oh, uh, by the way, a lot of people saying Wayne Gretzky. Yeah, yeah th- throw yes, him in there. I was yes, doing like sure. the last twenty years, but yes, if you want to go back further, Wayne Gretzky, of course, would be a part of this as well. Would Albert be up there? Just real quick, just no. the way top he 10, dominated. I don't not think. top ten, but like top twenty thirty. Because someone asked on the text line, like, who would be the highest baseball player? And I would think Albert has to be pretty high up there, just how dominant I mean, for he me, was. The, the most dominant baseball player I've seen, he cheated, so you can th- take it or leave it. But Barry Bonds. No Barry question. Bonds is the most dominant baseball player I've I've seen in my lifetime. But once you get past that, yeah, yeah Albert's in the next discussion. Yeah. Like, I, I think you could totally – Albert, Miggy, Mike Trout, A-Rod, that's – and then uh, put throwing in Barry Bonds in there as well. Those are probably the list for me of the last 20 years or so. Yeah, I would agree with that, I think. With Kerry Davis and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll play a game of bet it or forget it. If you've got a scenario, we will tell you if we're betting it or forgetting it. But next, excited about this conversation. Former Blues forward, now the Arizona Coyotes Director of Player Development. Lee Stimpniak is going to join the show. I want to ask him about his new role with the Coyotes and want to go down memory lane with him for a bit because he played here in some of those training transition years in the late 2000s. I'm curious what that time period was like to be a member of the Blues. We'll talk to Lee about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. this Carrie Davis and alongside Carrie Davis and Tanner Hendrickson I'm Brandon Kylie. imagine you're going to Dartmouth okay you've got a, deg- a degree in economics okay and then you have a very successful NHL career for more than a decade mm-hmm. and now you go on to become a director of player development with the Arizona Coyotes. I would say all of that's a pretty successful career at that point, yeah, right? I, I would say I would say so. I think that's so. been the life of Lee Stempniak, and he joins us now via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line, the former St. Louis Blues forward, now the director of player development with the Arizona Coyotes. Lee, thanks so much for the time today, man. What an impressive background you have. How did this all come about? How did you go from a, a guy that's getting a degree in economics at Dartmouth to now being the director of the player development with the Arizona Coyotes. 
Well, thanks for having me. It's a very kind intro. Uh, it's been uh, it's been a wild ride. Um, you know, I went to to Dartmouth obviously because I valued my education and was lucky enough to to have the chance to play in the NHL and uh, play for for quite a while. And then I knew I wanted to stay in the game. Uh, you know, all my experiences have been playing hockey, and uh, I really enjoyed as I got older helping the younger players. When I was uh, a rookie in St. Louis, you know, we had Barrett Jackman, Keith Kachuk. Wade, Bill Guerin, Dally Drake, um, Paul Korea, just guys that were really helpful to me on the ice, off the ice, teaching me the little things, and, and I tried to carry that forward as I played. And uh, it felt like a natural progression to, to try and get into player development and really help uh, – players uh, achieve their dream and, and be NHL players. Hey, Lee, one of our co-workers here at 101 ESPN is Jamie Rivers. And at the time, he was in his final season in the NHL playing here in St. Louis. What do you remember about playing with Jamie Rivers back in 2007? He was funny. He was great in the locker room. Uh, he was a good player. And um, I just remember he was he was really funny. Uh, we had a lot of characters on the teams in those years. And, uh, you know, he was right in there. Making people laugh, uh, keeping it light, and he was just a, a really good guy. And um, you know, by and large, I feel fortunate that that almost everyone I've played with has been uh, a really good person. People you want to be around, and for me, that's that's one of the things with player development is that character piece and, and being a good person, being a good teammate that I'm going to emphasize. Now, Lee, I, I played in the NFL for for a long for for a few years, seven years, and I, I always say that I believe that hockey players are much tougher than football players. <laughs> I, I will not argue with anyone about that. You're a very intelligent man. Obviously, went to Dartmouth. What is it about playing hockey that that gives you all that grit and that that meanness and that toughness to lay down in front of a slap shot if need be, which I would never do. I will block a linebacker full speed, but I will never stand in front of a, a slap shot. It's just not in my DNA. Can you talk to us about that mentality and and what that takes? Uh, it's it's hard. Um, you know, I don't think I could play football, so I, I guess that's a fair <laughs> trade. But uh, you know, I, I think a lot of it comes from from being part of the team. Uh, as we know from watching hockey now, like blocking shots is just, it's to be expected before it used to be, you know, one or two guys that sort of did it and other guys didn't have to. And now it's just, it's part of the job description. So you know, I, I think there's a, a big sense of, uh, feel like fulfilling that commitment. I, you don't want to be the guy that goes back to the bench and you, you got out of the way or the shot went by, or you, you're sort of there and sort of not there. Cause the other 19 guys on the bench or, or on the team know, know you got out of the way. So a lot of it's being able to look your teammates in the eye and, and that team standard everyone has. Now, Lee, when you, you, because being a good teammate obviously is one of the most important things that you can be. Uh, when you look at this Blues team, what do you see from them? And, and do you see a team that, that has the opportunity to build into something great uh, this, coming up se- this upcoming season? The Coyotes? Uh, the, the St. Louis Blues, sorry. The St. Louis Blues. Yes, I'm not uh, – I'm not as familiar with the Blues, um, but no, I mean, they've got a lot of really good players um, from afar. I like the job the coaching staff has done. Uh, you know, they're, uh, they're good, and uh, they've got some good young players. I, I think they just have a really good blend of players and, and should be a strong team. I know, uh, unfortunately, part of my job now is watching more of the amateur prospects and, and our prospects. So I don't get to keep as tight of a pulse on the league as I, as I used to. Lee Stipnak is our guest here on 101 ESPN. Lee, I did want to ask you about what that role is going to be for you. Uh, the development of players has has changed, of course, over the years. How much different is it today compared to when you were coming into the league? And if you could take us back behind the curtain a little bit, what are some of those main differences? Yeah, so um, I was drafted like late. I was 20 years old when I was drafted after my sophomore year of college. And uh, 
So I was passed over twice, and I was taken in the fifth round, and I got a phone call uh, after the draft that I'd been drafted from Larry Plow, and then uh, I got a letter in the mail, and then didn't hear from St. Louis until I went to training camp two years later, uh, <laughs> the invitation, and showed up. So there wasn't much on the development front there. You know, it's it's a pretty new new uh, department, I think, around the NHL. I think teams see this need where you can draft players and, and you're still an amateur unlike other sports. And um, there's a lot of time. That, that age gap from 18, 19, 20, 21 years old before you turn pro, there's, there's so much that happens. You can get stronger. You can work on your team. And, and I think for the biggest change now is that realizing that that time used wisely can help the players mature off the ice, uh, get stronger, learn how to eat properly, help them with the nuances of the game so that ultimately they can get to the NHL sooner, help your team win sooner, and stay in the NHL. Um, because, you know, the game's getting younger, but there's some things you just need to learn learn from experience. And if we can provide those experiences sooner, I think it's much better for our prospects. Now, Lee, you were teammates with uh, Keith Kachuk, and, and we all feel like our children are going to be elite and be special. Uh, in your time with him and being around him and, and his kids, did you see – that his kids had some potential to be the stars that they are now? Um, I knew they were athletic kids. Uh, I still maintain Taryn, his daughter, might be the best athlete in the family. He'll the same thing. Uh, no, I actually lived with, uh, with, with Big Wallet Chantel uh, part of my rookie year. Uh, so I was playing all the sports, the mini hockey, the roller hockey, on the trampoline, throwing baseballs with uh, Braden and Matthew. Um, so you could see they're athletic. I think that uh, from afar, Big Walt's done a good job of you know teaching them you know the important things, like passing the puck, being a good teammate, being nice to people, rather than emphasizing sort of the things that you you think of like, hey, how many goals did you score? It's like, hey, how many assists did you have? You know, did you have fun? Did you work hard? Things like that. That I think is a really mature approach. And um, I mean, they've they've got the genetics for it and, and they worked hard. And, and for me, it's fun. I got to play against them a little bit, but they're two, two great kids. Um, and uh, it's, it's, it makes me feel very old though. Now to, <laughs> now to play against both of them, especially Brady. I was like, Brady was so small when I, when I met him, but um, no, I mean, the odds of that happening seem very, very small. Uh, Lee, I wanted to ask you about some of the changes that we've seen in terms of the way that the game is played now compared to 10, 15, 20 years ago. I mean, I I look at the Blues blue line, for example, and it's like the shining example of it, right? Five years ago, you had all of these dudes that are 6'5", 200 plus pounds, and now you've got Tori Krug and you've got Scott Perunovich, and that seems like it's kind of the way that the game is going for you and in, in your role as the director of player development, but really just looking at the amateur game as well, how much has there been a shift in your mind of going from that size and power to more of a, a speed and skill game in your opinion? There's definitely been a shift. I think, um, you know, everyone wants size and strength, but skating has got to be there now. It used to just be, you know, you could take the size and you, you didn't worry about the skating for me. I think skating is a prerequisite. Personally, I'm a big, big fan of hockey sense and just the way people understand the game. And, and there's a difference between sort of having the tools and the actual ability to like put it all together and just play hockey. Like it's it's a moving game. You got to understand what's happening, identify situations, and and make the right play. So to me, um, as I watch, the big difference is like everyone can skate now. Before, you know, there used to be sort of like a very distinct 
top six, bottom six, uh, you know, the big D pairing that didn't skate while the just was punishing. And now with the, the crackdown on uh, stick infractions, the cross-checking, um, you have to be able to defend with your skating. So that allows guys that aren't maybe quite as big to be able to use their smarts, use their skating to cut guys off and limit time and space. And, um, you know, the, the skill level has never been higher. Um, and I think the, the other thing that jumps out to me is just, it's a lot more, uh, see D-men just up in the rush a lot more. You know, I mean, you have like the Cal McCarr example, but Tori Krug's another example, like uh, Justin Falk's even a guy that, you know, is in the rush, scores goals, good shot. So I think now there, there's just a lot more four-man attacking. Uh, having that fourth, the defenseman as the fourth man in the rush has it's been a huge change over the last 10 or 15 years too. Lee, final question that I've got for you. And we're talking to Lee Stimpniak here on 101 ESPN. Uh, one of your teammates early in your career here in St. Louis was David Perron. And he, of course, over the last few years, again, has become a, a big-time fan favorite here in St. Louis. And now we wish him well as he's gone on to Detroit. But you played with the version of David Perron that was wearing the white skates. And that was a very different player than the one that we've seen over the last few years. What's it been like for you to first start out as a teammate of his and now uh, to see the development of who he has eventually become as a player? Uh, he was always very talented. And, you know, I think when I look at him, he reminds me of uh, a couple of prospects we have. Or a couple of our prospects remind me of David. And it's been good for me as I reflect back on, like, different players. Um you know, some of it's learning different. Like every player I've found needs something different. For David, he was always supremely talented, competitive, worked hard. I think as he got better away from the puck and rounded out his game, he's become a, a very, very good player that's played a long time and, and he's pretty responsible. So, um, you know, for me, I see like his game just sort of elevated all around him. And, and it's a really a credit to him that he's been able to sustain his level of play for a long time. And he's changed teams and come back and just been able to, to play at a high level. So um, it's, it's fun to see someone, you know, like that. And, you know, there's, a, there's obviously a maturity. He was 19 years old when he came and he was a young kid. And I mean, I was a sophomore in college when I was 19, so I wasn't ready for, for anything like that. So I think it's been good for me to, to realize there's a mature, a maturation for players and people learn and people improve. And, and some of it's coaching and the way different coaches handle different players and, and the way players respond to it. So, um, I guess to answer your question, I think it's great. Uh, I always, I always enjoyed him and, uh, he was just extremely talented from a very, from, from day one when we got him. So I'm happy for him. Hey Lee, thanks so much for doing this, man. This has been great to be able to catch up a uh, huge thanks to our buddy, our mutual friend, Jeremy Rutherford for being able to set this up with us. All the best to you and the coyotes in your new role as the director of player development. Hopefully we'll catch up with you down the road. Sounds great. Thanks for having me, guys. You got it. That's Lee Stempniak joining us here on 101 ESPN. Huge thanks to him for joining us today. I, I'm curious, Kerry, you, you, you've got the coaching side of things as well. He was talking there about David Perron and how eventually it was the maturation process that had to yep. take place. And that's not just mentally, but also physically and right. then just finding your game. What mm -hmm. is the way that I can contribute to winning here? And that means different things depending on what your role is and where yeah. you're at and all of these different things. I think for me, what came to mind as he was talking about that on the current Blues is Jordan Cairo, mm -hmm. who's an excellent player, immensely talented, but there's still portions of his game that have development to go. And that's, that's great when you've got a guy that was a point-per-game player last year and there's still growth right. in his game. Is that, when, when you look at players, 
Is it the same for all of them in terms of the development process and how long it takes to click? Or is it different depending on who the player is and, and what it will take for that guy for it to click? It's definitely different depending on the player. Uh, some people are so talented that they can get by with um, not having all of the detail-oriented things that coaches ask of them. And when you when you are super talented like that and you start to understand the the minute details of what you need to do to become a better player, that's when you go from good to great and from great to a, a future Hall of Famer. And and some people have to understand what their role is for each specific team, each game. What is my role? Is it to score? Is it to pass? Is it to defend? What are, what do I need to do to make my team successful? And I think the great players and the, the future Hall of Fame players understand that night in and night out what that role is and how they can help their team. But when you are extremely talented, it helps speed up that process because you get to play more, obviously, and work through some of those hiccups as opposed to a guy who is not as talented. You have to be on your P's and Q's from the very jump. Otherwise, you won't have a job for, for long. So it definitely is is different. But the maturation process, the, the sooner it speeds up, the more you get more playing time and the more the better you, you and the better your team gets. That's Super Bowl champion, Kerry Davis. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. In 15 minutes, what's your level of concern right now with Miles Michaelis? But coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service. Tax line for better to forget it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up, and we're here to make the call. It's BK and Ferrario's Bet It or Forget It on 101 ESPN. Comfort service text line for bet it or forget it. Let's start with this one from the 314. Guys, bet it or forget it. Adam Wainwright will be back with the Cardinals in 2023. You know what? If you'd asked me this a year ago, I would say forget it. I would say, I would say no, it wasn't gonna happen. I I, I would say yes. I, I think if the numbers match up as far as what he feels he deserves still and and what the Cardinals are willing to pay him, I would say yes. But I, I bet it. I'm going to bet he's back, too. I, I haven't heard him like having like a Tom Brady press conference where it feels like he should be in retirement or he wants to retire. we got to get to that later, Kerry. I'm worried about our guy, Tom. I'm worried about him. Yeah, I mean the I, I saw that. And I haven't heard else people to agree with say. I am. Somebody's I, eventually going to agree well, with me that it, this is concerning. He didn't. He looked like he lost weight. Thank you. He looked, yes. He looked like he lost. I mean, and it's noticeable. It looked like ten to fifteen His pounds. His face looks like it's yeah. sunken in. Yeah, it, it, that kind of that kind of scared me. So I, I am, I am with you in that regard about Tom. But with Wainwright, I, I'm going to bet it because he hasn't had a Tom Brady press conference. I think he wants to come back. I think he wants to come back and get to 200. And I, I think we've brought this up. I think if Adam Wainwright gets to 200 wins, I think it locks him into the Hall of Fame. And I, I think he kind of has it in the back of his mind, too. He's only seven wins away. He's not going to get there this year. He's probably got like four more starts, five more starts, so he can't get there. But I think he'll come back. I think he'll come back. Cardinals find a way to bring him back because he's been your best pitcher this year. There's no yeah. doubt about it again. So you bring him back. Go have another chase instead of 700 home runs. It's a chase for 200, and Wainwright can go get that and then lock himself in the Hall of Fame, and then maybe he rides off into the sunset. The 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 number is going to be the most important thing, not the 200 number, the the, the financial <laughs> the, number. The money. <laughs> the money is the number I'm speaking of. 65780 is the air covered service X line for better to forget it. I do think he is back next season. He's playing baseball. That's the part, Carrie, that I'm very curious about. If the Cardinals find out it's going to cost, say, 
20 mil? 17 to 20 That's million I, dollars. 17 million is it's 15 to 18 would be the number that I think he would feel comfortable with. Sure. Are the Cardinals comfortable with that number? That's what I'm wondering. I think the Cardinals would be more comfortable with around 12 million. Yeah, hey, we'll do some incentives yeah, to get you yeah, to 15. Yeah. And Maybe we can get you to 18. And that's going to be probably the one hiccup. in, in Because if he can get yep. 18 in another place, you know. Like, for example, Atlanta. Atlanta. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. If so, Atlanta's willing to offer him 20, because they've got money, they've got everybody locked up for the next 100 years. Yeah. So... If they're willing to offer him 20, the Cardinals are sitting here saying 15, and you're Wayno, you're saying, I want to be back here in St. Louis, right. but my family is in I, Atlanta. If it's 15, I, I would say yes. I would say yes, he stays. But if it's 12, that's a that's a large gap yeah. between 12 and, and 17. And he doesn't look at it as for me financially. Yeah. Wayno spends a lot of his money in these endeavors that he does for charitable causes. And so he's saying, hey, this is $8 million. It could go a long way towards well, some of the impacts that and, I've got. And you deserve to be paid what sure. you own, what you what you have earned. And and people talk about well hometown discount yeah it's not it's not it's easy to say hometown discount when it's not your money involved yep <laughs> when it's my money line. I ain't taking when no I go discount. to negotiations yeah, with one hundred and one I, I don't say hey you know I've been here a long time my wife is from here yeah. this is now my adopted hometown go ahead go ahead and give me a, a twenty percent cut not happening that's not quite how this works. <laughs> Six five seven eight zero is your comfort service text line, guys. Bet it or forget it. There will be at least three quarterbacks that start the season as their team starting quarterbacks in the NFL that will be on the bench by October. That's interesting. Okay, three? so at least three guys that start for their teams at the beginning of the season that are benched oh, by October. At least three. Let's see That's here. Who could I see that gets? I say I'm going to say yes You're because bet if it? you if you look at yes. Seattle is a possibility. Oh, God, yeah. Okay, you have... The two garbage cans think well, one gets well, benched. Does Cleveland count as one? No. Okay, okay, we won't count Cleveland. New York Jets? New so York Jets. So weird because the Jets have Flacco technically well, starting I won't, I won't out the I'm talking about when Zach Wilson becomes the starter. No, so I'd let's be not just, about that. Let's say, let's say the New York Giants as another oh, one. Oh, Daniel Jones could easily be That's benched. Two. Washington yeah. Commanders, if you can tell me who the quarterback is. Uh, Carson Wentz. <laughs> okay, well, yeah. Uh, okay, so that's three. Uh, Marcus um, Mariota wouldn't shock me at all if he's benched four. for Desmond Ritter. And, Baker and Mayfield wouldn't be shocked if at some point he gets I think, benched. I think Baker's going to be fine. I think so, too. I think See, he's in a place I, where he'll be fine. I can't remember where it was. I saw on Twitter the other day, someone tweeted out that covers the Panthers like, hey, he's not going to have a big leash, which shocked really? me, which shocked me. But that's the only reason I throw him out there, because I agree with you. I think Baker's clearly the number one guy yeah. there, and there's nobody Here's behind one. him with Darnold Hurt. After the news from yesterday... Mahomes. Would you be shocked if Trey Lance is on the bench in October? Nah. I like Trey Lance. I think he's got a chance to be really good. But. I think the 49ers made a decision, and and it, <laughs> they weren't absolutely sure. They kind of it's kind of one of those things where hedging you, you, your bets. You well, you 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 feel like you have an upgrade in a in a player because Jimmy G has been solid, but he has not been elite. Absolutely. He's taking you to NFC Championship games. He's taking you to the Super Bowl, but he hasn't been the elite quarterback. And now you have a guy who's young. Big arm talent can do all of the things you wanted Jimmy G to do, but can he do all of the things that Jimmy G does as well? As far as the consistency, the consistency, second and five, get you get move the ball the to the right person, yeah, and make sure that you know the big throw downfield is a beautiful thing, but I need to be if it's third and three, I need to get a first down. If it's third and seven, I need to get a first down. I got one more team for you, please, Pittsburgh Steelers. I say I got two more, and Pittsburgh oh. was one of them. Yeah, yeah. 
because I, I think they're I think they're going Pickett week one. But I, I think they're going see, Trubisky, Trubisky week one. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. I think it's Trubisky week one. I think you see Pickett by the time you get to October. Agreed. Week eight. Risky Trubisky. Even risky. even if Trubisky is playing well, I think they they got. It sounds like they're excited about. Here's Pickett. the thing, and, and I saw Mason Rudolph upset that he wasn't getting an opportunity. Bro, read the room. <laughs> <laughs> read the room. They you brought play? in a quarterback in the offseason. They drafted another one in the first round. Bro, read the room. You should have asked for a trade right then and there. <laughs> you knew that you were not going to get an opportunity no matter how well you performed in the preseason. It ain't about you, bro. You're done. You're done. It's over. So I, I always think about uh, Nick Young, Swaggy P in the NBA when it comes to a rational confidence guy. Carrie, you don't have to name names if you don't want to, but did you ever play with a guy where it was like, man, you are the number six wide receiver on this team and you treat yourself as if you are like the best player on this team with irrational confidence every day, the way that you walk into this locker room? Uh, n- not really. Because it feels like Rudolph not, might not be really. that guy. I had, I would say I had another teammate who, who called me the day of the draft when they drafted his position and said, it's been fun, guy. It's been fun, bro. I said, what you talking about? He said, hey, hey, I can read. I can I can I can read the room. I can see the writing on the wall. I'm, I'm out of here. I may be there for mini camp. I may be, but I probably won't be there for training camp. And the player was drafted in the first round. So his oh, position yeah. was drafted. Yeah, he's done. And he said, oh yeah, I know it's over. I said, what? He said, yeah. He I mean literally after after the pick was picked. What's up, bro? You good? <laughs> Yeah, I'm good, man. It is, the writing's on the wall for me. It's been real, bro. I, I'm glad to have spent the time that we spent. That guy's been before. in the league a minute, huh? He, he, he knew the business knew. side of things. He understood <laughs> what it was. So, yeah, I think self-awareness is very important in this in this sports world. Some people don't have it. I have not run into a sixth uh, receiver that understood or believed that he was the number one. Uh, no, you're not. You're, you're, you're sixth, and he probably understood that as well. There's one more team I want to throw out there because I agreed with Pittsburgh. What about Tennessee? They seem to be really high. On, well. They seem to be really high on what Malik Willis did in the preseason. And Tannehill, you he's know, is on the hot Interesting man. I don't know if he's good or not. I have no idea. I mean, the the odds are he's probably not. But he's interesting. I enjoy watching him. And you have no wide receivers on that team. Like Robert Woods is fine. Traylon Burks was really fun I at Arkansas. He was be really, I, I, but. Oh. He was really special at Arkansas. I mean, he was a guy you can get I'm the ball. I'm worried about he, Arkansas because he's not there. He's De- he's he's Debo Samuel-esque. Like he reminds me his body yeah. type, his physical, the way he 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 is able to move and catch the ball and and explode once he catches it. I, I'm excited to see him. I think that Tennessee may be one of those teams as well. We're all taking the over then. Yeah, because we've given yeah, enough three. options at this yeah. point like that there will be point. three. Yeah, and then there will be more than three coaches fired after the season. Oh yeah, always. Oh yeah. Cliff Kingsbury definitely going to be on that list. Ooh, whoa! You just got an extension. It's fake. Don't ah, don't pay any attention. Don't to believe that one. it. All right. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're diving into the junk drawer. But next, what is your level of concern right now with Miles Michaelis? I think there's two ways to look at this. I fall firmly on one side of it. We'll tell you what that is next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Uh, Miles was okay, and then uh, ran into trouble, obviously, with the three homers. Couldn't land the breaking ball, which is what he uses to steal strikes and kind of slow guys down and then beat them with the fastball. You were able to eliminate that pitch, and they took some good swings off him. But uh, it was more the pitch count in that inning. Threw a lot of pitches, 35-plus, 
And uh, at that point, I don't, I didn't want to risk anything. So we uh, decided to take him out. That was Ollie Marmel last night on Miles Michaelis's performance. It wasn't a good one. Let's be honest. It just wasn't his night. And that's happened a couple of times lately. And alongside Super Bowl champion, Kerry Davis, that's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. in 15 minutes. Are the Cardinals eventually going to give Andrew Kisner a little bit of a bigger role? We'll get into that. But Last night, not a great night for Miles Michaelis. Goes four and a third, gives up six hits, walks one, ends up allowing the four earned runs. And, Kerry, I think there's two different ways to look at this. Last night, Randy Carricker tweeted out that in the second half, Miles Michaelis has allowed 31 earned runs in 48 innings pitched. That is a 5.8 ERA. It's not what you want. No. However, 20 of those 31 earned runs came in three different starts that took place at the Great American Ballpark and at Coors Field. And really, 10 of them happened in that awful outing at Coors Field, which is a fake ballpark, and I don't take (laughs) anything that happens there as gospel. Right. What is your level of concern right now about Miles Michaelis if you're a Cardinals fan? Uh, not, not, I, I don't have much concern. I think when you look at what happened last night, you're going to have those, those games every now and then. He was, he was pitching well up until that, that fifth inning when he started to give up, get the ball out of the ballpark. Uh, sandwiched in between, you know, those games that you talked about at Coors Field and at, um, at, at, in Cincinnati, he had a couple of eight inning, eight yep. inning starts where he, he gave up one earned run in one, two earned runs in another and pitched extremely well. It was kind of that stretch where Wayno and, and him and Jordan Montgomery were just, just dealing. So I, I don't have much concern for, for what happened last night. The Cardinals still won the game. They were up, um, I believe six to eight or eight to nothing at that time when he started giving up those home runs. So I, I'm not too concerned with it. Obviously, you want to keep the ball in the ballpark. You want to keep it low so so that it can be fielded and we can get ground balls and all of those things. I'm not too concerned about it. I think it's, it's a start. It's one start. And as you said, those three starts where he's blown up have been in ballparks that are more hitter-friendly than they are for uh, pitchers. Yeah, I'm not concerned about Miles Michaelis. And I said that yesterday going into that start because – I think he's one of your best workhorses. I think he's like your second or third best pitcher. Lately, he's probably been your number three behind Jordan Montgomery. But I, I don't read too much into a start in Cincinnati. I know a lot of fans say, well, he got roughed up again. Yeah, but Cincinnati and Colorado are probably the two hardest ballparks to pitch in, in the National League. And you look at Miles Michaelis in his career, he has historically struggled at both places. I mean, I was looking at his numbers earlier. Coors Field, 13.5 ERA in three starts there. You look yeah. at him at Great American Ballpark, he started there six times, 30 in the third innings pitch, 6.82 ERA. And no, neither one of those teams are a playoff team, and you're not going to have to go there. So I'm not worried about it. And you look at Miles Michaelis this season, he's been pretty good against everybody else and hasn't really had many blow-up games. I mean, you look at it at Arizona, he went eight innings and was awesome. In Wrigley, another tough place to pitch, went six and two-thirds. And he allowed five runs, but only three of those were earned. So I'm not concerned about Miles Michaelis. I do think Great American Ballpark and Coors Field are kind of those two bugaboo ballparks for him because, again, they are tough places to pitch. But every pitcher kind of has a ballpark that is tough for them to pitch at. Look at Jack Flaherty. He historically struggles in Milwaukee, has his struggles against the Milwaukee Brewers up at their uh, ballpark. So I'm not concerned. I think Miles Michaelis is going to be fine. I, I think it's just those three starts are really just making those numbers when you look at that second half go, whoa, he must really be struggling. No, outside those three starts, he's been really good. I thought his stuff looked really good last night until, as Kerry's mentioned, then he gave up those three home runs. You look at what he's done. In his last 11 starts, he's had eight quality starts. So six or more innings, mm-hmm. three or fewer earned runs. The three games that are the outliers are the three that we're yeah. talking about here. The two in Cincinnati, the one that took place in Colorado. I just, my level of concern about Miles Michaelis is zero. 
Is he going to have to pitch in Cincinnati or at Coors in the playoffs? No, because those teams aren't anywhere close to the playoff race. So, I I mean, you look back at this at Tampa Bay, eight innings allowed two earned runs at Milwaukee, six and a third allowed two earned runs at Philadelphia, five and a third allowed two earned runs at Atlanta, six innings, three earned runs again against Philly, a good lineup that is going to be very likely in the playoffs, seven and a third. One earned run. These are playoff teams that he's going up against, and he's performing well against them. Again against Milwaukee, eight innings, two earned runs. When he's gone up against the teams that you need to see him perform well against, he's performed well in those individual outings. It's a few weird performances where he did not pitch well. We've seen these for Wayno this year, where Wayno will go out, it's like, man, he just doesn't seem to have it today. Goes five, gives up four earned runs, and you're like, man, that was that was weird. And then in the back of my mind, I don't know if this is the case for you guys. I'm wondering always after a start like that, is this when it goes because of the age? And so you think to yourself, is is this when we start to see the decline? And it's always no. The answer is always no with him. So if this is something that over the month of September, we see three or four more times. Sure. Now we can have a conversation. But right now, my level of concern about Miles Michaelis is like a two on a scale of a one to ten. Yeah, I said I'm not concerned at all. I think they they, he's done a. A pretty good job throughout the season. Obviously, those starts make his ERA much more inflated, and 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 it seems much worse than it is. Yeah, that's why numbers can kind of be you know misleading at times because if you have a couple of bad starts or a couple of situations where you're not able to get out of an inning or you you get the ball up in the zone and it's out of the ballpark, games can change. But as I said yesterday, they were they had a great a, a big enough lead that those home runs didn't impact the game or didn't impact anything else that was going to take place. And and this Cardinals team is 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 starting to become built for for a huge playoff run. And, and I think that Miles Michael is going to be a an important factor in what they do in the playoffs. So I'm, I'm not worried about it. I don't think it's an issue at all. Let's, you know, get it out of the way and let's get ready to play the next game. I was going to say, I, he's a guy I still would trust in the playoffs. Like if you told me, hey, you got a big start, it's win or go home, and Michaelis is the starter that's available, or you can turn to like a Quintana who has been in your bullpen in a playoff series, I still go to Miles Michaelis. Like I, I trust that he's going to show up in a big stage. He's going to give me a good start. Like that Cubs game I mentioned, gave up five runs. That was a game he got killed softly too. Like he he pitches to contact. Sometimes that will bite him. But overall, this year I think he's been. Katie said it when we had her on. When Katie Wood joined us, she said he's been arguably one of the Cardinals' best pitchers this season. And I 100 percent believe that. I I think he's your second best pitcher when he's not going through these struggles at these ballparks. I have no reason to lose any faith in him. I think he's going to be fine in the long run. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service tax line. Final thing on this from the six three six guys. I think you might be missing the point on this. He might be getting fatigue. He hadn't pitched a full season in a few years, and now maybe it's catching up to him. I guess my retort to that would be this. If it was that he was getting fatigued, I think you would see it in these other starts as well. But he went eight innings against Milwaukee two weeks ago and gave up two earned. If he was fatigued, he wouldn't have gone eight innings again the following start, given up one against Arizona. And then against Chicago, again, in Wrigley, six and two-thirds, three earned runs. So it didn't catch up to him up until literally yesterday. That That's not enough of a sample size for me to believe that. It might happen, but I don't believe that that's what we're watching right now. How long was the the delay to start the game? About an hour. So I, I think that you can take that into consideration sure. as well. I think as Just athletes, a weird you are, day overall. Yeah, you are cre- you're a creature of habit. And that may have been around the time where if, if the game started at the regular time. And you never know. I mean, it, it just some things just happen. Um, but it's not to me, it's not a big issue. I don't think it's an issue of him wearing down. I don't think you see him getting fatigued sooner or, or than, than normally he would. 
I think he gave, got the ball up and it got out of the, got out of the park a couple of times and and it was time to get him out of the game. Yeah, and you've got the pitchers to be able to yeah. cover it. You didn't uh, tax your bullpen over the weekend, and so what you ended up doing, you go to Zach Thompson, you go to Stratton, you go to Woodford, and you're out of the game without using any of your high leverage arms. So you feel good about it, right. even despite not getting a lengthy start there from Michaelis. I'm not worried about him. He'll be all right. Coming up in 15 minutes, guy who might not be all right at the plate right now is your veteran catcher who all of us believe in. But you got to get more from him at the plate. We'll talk about that coming up in 15 minutes. The Junk Shores coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve a checking account today. term friend zone oh yeah this is a sad story okay so i'm gonna tell you a story about my friend named mark all right mark was at the brewers game last night and i'm gonna read you some of the well wishes that some of the individuals at the brewers game posted on the jumbotron last night all right here's here's four of them happy birthday cody from your b-day buddy mel another one Thanks, Mel. Happy birthday, Mel, from your B-Day buddy, Cody. Another one. Happy anniversary, Mike and Ronley. One more. Good luck on the big race coming up, Scott. So you see the, the messages are yeah. kind of in the spirit of, like, just sending good wishes to oh, somebody yeah. else. Sounds Makes like, sense. Sounds good. Here's another one. <laughs> Mark, your friendship means the world to me. Let's not wreck it. <laughs> These were posted in the eighth Ooh. inning last night at American Family Field up in Milwaukee. I'm trying to imagine, like, Carrie, let's say you're Mark in this instance. Okay. And you're at the game with Bethany. Okay. And Bethany is the one that posted this. And you guys are hanging out at the Brewers game together. You're having a good time. It was a close one last night All right. between the Brewers and the Cubs. You're watching, just minding your own business, thinking nothing of it. And then you see this posted on the Jumbotron. What's your reaction well, in that moment? As I envision this, I, I see Mark eating some popcorn, having a conversation <laughs> with Bethany. And the, 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 the messages start appearing on the board. And I see Bethany elbowing Mark. Hey, look, 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 look up. Look, it's your name. And, and, and I see Mark, handful of popcorn, getting ready to chew down on it and see said message and kind of look over at Bethany and say, really? But here, here's the thing about Mark. Because we talked about Here's reading the thing about we Mark. talked about reading the room earlier, correct? <laughs> if you're Mark, you didn't need a message on a jumbotron to tell you that Bethany was not trying to be anything more than friends. She has told you this multiple times, so now she had to go to the extreme measures of letting everyone else in said stadium see that Mark and I are on this date, air quotes. But we are just friends, and we are not going to ruin it, right, Mark? And he has to say, okay. He should have already known that. But clearly, he, the message was not clear enough. Sometimes we get signs in life. I, you know, sometimes the signs in I life are not. I literal <laughs> signs. Sometimes. I need to take out a billboard on 270. It's on the main part of the scoreboard. Sometimes the signs that we receive in life, we don't believe. So you need a much clearer sign. 
actually in 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 bold letters and color and print. Yeah, big white letters on a blue you, jumbotron you, 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 you screen. You gotta see it. I don't think Mark needed it on the legitimate full big screen. He you look did. at Bush Stadium. Bush Stadium, when they have all these announcements, you look at the scoreboard. It's like in the very bottom little square nah, in the left nah. corner. And Milwaukee's just going to do people like this and just poor Mark's going to it's going to be seen across the whole stadium. Now, let's take our time here because Milwaukee did nothing. Mark did this. They saw that Mark message. They could have gotten no, rid of that. I can't believe Mark, you're victim shaming Mark in this listen, spot. I can't believe you. Mark didn't even slap in the face of the friend zone. He, under, he, he knew that going into the game, fellas. He made any confirmation. He did, clearly, because hey, she's like been telling have, him this. I like to have hopes and dreams carried. Mark's hope was to be with Bethany. Uh, uh, well, I get it. I get it. Tanner is Mark. Yeah. Ah, it's all coming I've been together in the now. Zone, Carrie. Can't <laughs> leave that zone. You gotta, you gotta understand when it's time to just walk away. Sometimes you gotta say, okay, you want to be friends. I Mark's don't. Mark's gotta leave Milwaukee now. You can, you can never talk to Bethany again. Nah, like this nah. has to be he's the final move. words that either of you, you say. You, to there one is another. no conversation on the way home. It, you said he's got to move. He can't live in Milwaukee anymore. <laughs> yeah. He's got to leave. He's a native St. Louis and now. People know Mark will be like, yo, you're the guy that was on the, dude, you got friend zoned. Mark lives At in High Ridge. He's okay. He, he he just has to read the room better and understand. There's one thing. And Bethany had to make the sign abundantly clear. If Here's a question for you. If you're Mark and Bethany was your ride home. I'm taking an Uber. I got an Uber, right? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, 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 I'm good. Thank you, friend. I'll I'll find my own way home. Yeah. Appreciate it. There is nothing we we are going to say in that car on the way home. Hey, if to make Mark feel better, Christian Yelich did tweet out, you know, (sighs) hey, we were down two in the eighth inning. The dugout looked up and saw this sign about poor Mark in the friend zone and said, let's win one for Mark. And guess what? Milwaukee won the game. There you go. You take that home with you, Mark. Don't care what Bethany says. You won that the Brewers regardless. need to do something nice for Mark. The Brewers need to get him a signed Christian Yelich bat. They need to get him one of, whatever the giveaway was over the last week. Every single day, those giveaways need to be sent to Mark's new home in High Ridge. Mark has to read the room better. He has to understand his place. I can't believe you're on the side of Bethany. I am, because if you are, listen, I... I <laughs> You have, you have. Harry never was in the friend zone. Uh, maybe, maybe not. I don't know, you know. <laughs> but I understand that when the journey is over, when to walk away, you know, you got, sometimes you got to get up from the table and leave. You, you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, for example. And to walk away. You have to. If you don't, you're going to be on the scoreboard in Milwaukee. I didn't know that was one of the options. To see. Yeah. I gotta, this was a new one for me. You got to walk away. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to talk to Danny Mack, Cardinals broadcaster for Valley Sports Midwest. We'll do that coming up at 1.15. But next, are the Cardinals eventually going to give Andrew Kisner a bigger role, or do you just stick with Yachty to, to, to hell with the offense? We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Kisner's a better offensive player than Yachty is right now, and it's not even that close. Now, I wouldn't even say Kisner's that great of an offensive player right now, but he's been better than Yachty. That's the only thing that you care about is putting out your best offensive club, then put Kisner in there. He's part of your best offensive ball club. If you care about all of the other things, about your pitching staff who largely pitches to contact, that gets ground balls, that needs the strike at the bottom of the strike zone to be called a strike, Kisner ain't your dude. 
with Super Bowl champion Kerry Davis and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. That was BT yesterday on the fast lane. We'll talk to his partner on Bally Sports Midwest, Danny Mack, here in about 10 minutes or so. But we've got to talk about the Andrew Kisner, Yadier Molina split right now. So, Kerry, when we were at the ballpark over the weekend, we asked Ali Marmel about this. And he said, and I, I liked the way that he framed it, he said, I like the way that we've got this rotation going right now because we believe that it keeps Yadier Molina fresh and it keeps Andrew Kisner sharp. Now, you could not have two more different catchers than Yadier Molina and Andrew Kisner in their current forms. Since July 11th, this is now six weeks, Andrew Kisner is batting 340 with an OPS over 850. He's been a very good offensive performer for you, especially relative to other MLB catchers. This is now an 80 plate appearance sample size. Pretty good. Meanwhile, Yadier Molina, since his return to the lineup on August 2nd, is batting 180. He does not have an extra base hit. And oh, by the way, since his most recent return from Puerto Rico in six games, he is 0 for 17. And he does not have a walk in that stretch either. He has been... By the numbers, one of the three worst hitters in baseball over the last four weeks of the season. Yadier Molina is a zero offensively. Andrew Kisner, very good offensively. But that is not including anything that you get defensively or game calling or leadership wise. Obviously, on all of those, Yadier Molina ranks very high. Kisner, I think, is is okay. I think he gets a little bit less credit than he probably should there, but he's he is not Yadier Molina by any stretch of the imagination. Down the stretch, Kerry, how do you weigh these two things? How do you go about weighing, all right, we know what Yadi is, what he has been, and what he can be, versus, oh, but Kisner's been really good offensively lately. Yeah, I don't think it's it's... I mean, obviously, you want him to be competitive at the plate. You want him to have an opportunity to drive in runs, get on base, and he's not doing that right now. But I think what he does behind the plate, probably, especially, I mean, early on in his career, it mattered more. Later on in his career, it's mattering more. We're going into the playoffs here soon, and and what he does with the pitching staff is going to be more valuable than what he does at the plate. I mean, you can almost look at it as, you know, with with the DH rule, everyone has one. And, and instead of having nine batters and the pitcher being the ninth one, now you got nine batters and Yachty being the ninth one. And, and because he is – obviously it changes the way that the game is played for for um, for the Cardinals because he's not going to be able to drive in runs or he hasn't done it at this point. But I think what he does behind the plate is more more important than anything else he could do for this baseball club. We talked about it earlier, being understanding your role as a player. And, and when the elite players understand their roles – his role is to make sure this pitching staff does a great job on the mound, keeps the ball low in his own, does a great job with framing pitches that gets him gets his pitcher strikes that other catchers, Kisner, may not be able to do. So that, to me, is the most vital and most crucial part of his game. Yeah, I want him to drive in runs. Yeah, I want him to get on base. But, yes, I definitely want him behind the plate making sure that our pitchers are in, of the right mindset and, and, and taking care of what he needs to do to make sure we get strikes and get outs and get the ball in play to our guys and not over the fence. Yeah, I, I still like starting Yadier Molina. I'd probably go 50-50 down the stretch. And even when we're talking like playoffs, when you get to that moment, I still want to see Yadier Molina behind the plate because of what Kerry was saying, how he commands a pitching staff. I mean, 
last night. There were a couple of pitches. It was Michaelis. I think Ollie mentioned at postgame where Michaelis didn't have his breaking ball today, didn't get a couple of those strikes. So what's he got to do? He's got to be more in the zone with the fastball. And some of those breaking balls that were just outside were balls with Kisner behind the plate. And again, I think it's a bit of an unfair thing for Kisner, but you saw with the Yadier Malie behind the plate and the Adam Wainwright star on Sunday Night Baseball how he can steal a couple of those breaking balls and just slightly pull them back into the zone to get those strikes. So with the defense and the way he commands a pitching staff, Yes, I would still look at Yadier Molina as being the onset playoff starter and still splitting 50-50 because of the way that he handles the pitching staff. Including but, in the playoffs? You split it? No, mm. playoffs, I start Yadier Molina. Yeah. But, every night? Every night. But here's the big but in that. The toughest task for Ali Marmol down the stretch in the remaining of the regular season is when there's a big spot and Yadier Molina comes up, he has to pinch it for him. So this is what I wanted to get to. I think there's two different ways that that can be handled. One is what we saw on Sunday night. Cardinals are down 3-2 to two against Atlanta. This is late in the game, bottom of the seventh inning. You've got one on. Paul DeYoung had just walked, and you have fried your bench. You have nothing left for you other than Andrew Kisner on your bench right now. And Yadier Molina's coming to the plate. So you've got Paul DeYoung on first. You've got one out, and Yadier Molina's coming to the plate. You are in the bottom of the seventh, down 3-2 to two against a very good opponent at this point in time. There will come a point in time where in that spot, the correct baseball move is to pinch hit Andrew Kisner for Yadier Molina. Now, that is hard as hell. Yeah. you. I, one of my favorite quotes is from Pat Riley, former Miami Heat um, and L.A. Lakers coach. He says the hardest thing to do in sports is to coach an aging superstar because mm-hmm. they still have the mindset that I'm a superstar, right. but they're not the same player that they once were. In that spot, Yadier Molina believes he's going to come through. He absolutely does. I promise you. But as a coach, you have to put your team in the best position to succeed. That is not the spot to do it. In late August against Atlanta, that spot is not a high enough leverage situation to potentially lose Yadier Molina mentally for the rest of that game and who knows how much longer afterwards. But there will come a point in time where you're going to have to have that conversation with Yadier if these struggles offensively continue, where you say our best opportunity to win this game in certain spots late in a game is not with you going to the plate and it's no disrespect to you we still want you to be our starting catcher and I agree with you guys I think he is still their starting Mm -hmm. catcher because you can deal with the uh, the lumps offensively because of how well the rest of your lineup is performing but there will come a point in time where late in a game you have to pinch hit for him whether that's some of your big bats uh, potentially Albert coming up against the lefty or if your bench is already fried and you got to go to Kisner in that spot you're gonna have to do it yeah, I think you. I think that's part of being a manager, though. Being a being a head coach, being a manager, understanding those situations because you have similar situation with Albert. If he gets on first base and and you have the pinch run for him, now yep. you lose his bat later on in the game. Which you, the way he's hitting against left-handed pitchers, you really want him in that position. I think it depends on the time of game, the type of game, and where you are in that game and in that series. If you're in the playoffs, I personally. And maybe this is me being a homer and being a a cardinal lifer. I believe as Yachty does, he's going to make that play. He's going to make that hit where everything in the in the numbers tell you he won't. And and I think that's the part of analytics that gets. But it's skewed. not even the numbers though at this well, point. Now it's scouting too. We can it, watch and it's like it is. Mm, not the but, same. But, it's ugly. but I also believe that the human element of a of a professional athlete kicks in and. Yeah, well, I'm not doing well. I haven't been doing well. But in this moment, because I've been here before versus a Kisner who may not have been in those. Would it change if it's instead of Kisner, if it's Albert taking that pinch hit opportunity for for Yachty? Probably. So it depends I, on probably, who the other yeah, option is. I, I don't think you can just say, OK, we're going to swap a catcher for a catcher because 
Albert has been in those high leverage situations. How many of those situations in LCS World sure. Series moments has Kisner been in? Yachty has. And and I would if if you're gonna swap catcher for catcher as a pinch hitter and you're gonna bring Kisner in who has not been in those moments, I think it's I would give Yachty that opportunity. As you said, if you if you're bringing Albert in or one of those guys that have, have had those moments, okay, I can I can understand I can stomach that a little bit better than than saying, okay, Yachty, we're gonna have you out for the game and we're gonna bring in a guy who has never been in these moments to pinch hit for you. I still think you'd do it. I, I get I totally understand where you're coming from, and, and I think that might be where the Cardinals are. It's certainly right now they're at that spot. Right. I will be I think the next month, because there was another quote from Ollie. This was to Derek Gould. I think this happened yesterday before the game. Derek asked him about this situation as well. And Ollie said, I'm betting on Yachty in September. I'm betting on Yachty in September. That's my answer. I think that part of September is a really important piece to that. <laughs> if September does not go well offensively and it start, it continues in this trend. You get to that Dodger series. That's when eventually I do wonder what it looks like yeah. in those late innings. And if Kisner, these are both big ifs. Maybe Yachty starts hitting again and he puts the ball in play and he's hitting it a little bit harder. And we don't even have to have these conversations come October. But if he continues playing poorly, offensively at least, and Kisner continues hitting... There will come a point in time where I have to say, man, these spots, if you've got nobody left on the bench, big high leverage situation, I know what his history says, but I trust Kisner more in this moment offensively than I do with Yachty. Does does down 3-2 versus a tie game at 2-2 versus being up 3-2, I think totally all of those things of yep. matter. And what inning is it? Are we in the eighth inning? Are we in the ninth inning? It's Are we be in late. The, and so I think as a, as a player, and as you said, an aging superstar as Yachty is, it's going to be hard for him to accept 100%. being pulled out of the game for hitting, but also because he understands what that pitching staff will need in those later innings, eighth, ninth, and potentially you know extra innings. It's going to be hard for him to, to, to be okay or accept that, and it's going to be hard for the manager to pull that trigger, even though everything in front of him tells him that this is the right decision. We know who this person is, and we understand what he has done throughout his entire career. And the, the human element of you as a manager also will kick in and say, I may have to give him this opportunity until he proves that he cannot do it. I don't think the first time you pull him, you I don't think the first time you pinch hit for him, I think you give him that opportunity. And if it doesn't work out, okay, I gave you that shot. Now we got to go in a different Tough direction. Tough part in the playoffs. If that happens, you, you only might got not three. Have, there you go. And you, you, you might, might not get that you second opportunity. You might not. You know, and that's that's where it gets really difficult. Yeah. I I do not envy Ollie Marmol's spot here but at it, all. It goes both ways because if you pinch hit for him and then the pitcher, the hitter does not does the same thing that he would have done. Now you got to answer for you why got, you pinch hit for Yadier Molina. I, I do go. think that's easier though. I think it's easier to explain why you pinch hit for him in that spot then why than it didn't. is to say why you didn't. You I, know. I, yeah. But I guess on the other side, you've been here. People in St. Louis have been here. They're going to understand why you let Yadier right. Molina hit in right. that spot. It. I think it's one of the biggest tests for Ollie Marmol down the stretch is to figure out how he handles this situation with a legend, a future first ballot Hall of Famer yes. in his final year in St. Louis. That's going to be a huge stress test for him as a manager. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're diving into some NFL quick hitters, including what's going on with the 49ers right now. Did they bring back Jimmy G because they lack faith in Trey Lance? We'll get into that coming up at 1.30. Danny Mac joins the show next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Albert lifts it in the air out to deep right and 
the wall. Gone! 6.94 on an opposite field home run. And it's history. The 450th different pitcher that Albert is homered against. That was Danny Mack on the call last night. Audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. Danny Mack joins us now via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Dan, 694. He is on absolute fire right now. I can't believe what we're watching on a night-to-night basis. I, I feel like we say this every time, but it continues to be unbelievable. The guy has a 1,300 OPS in the month of August. Thank you for doing this as always. What did you see last night from Albert? Uh, you know, another pitch that I didn't think he was going to hit out of the ballpark. It was kind of reminiscent to the pitch that he hit in Chicago, which was like at his face and, you know, eye level. And he yanks it out for a home run. And last night on an 0-2, he's able to do that. BK, there have been 9,801 players that have stepped onto a big league mound and thrown at least one pitch. Albert has a home run off of 450 of them, so that's 4.6% of every pitcher that's ever played it since 1892. <laughs> so that's what we're seeing. It's, it's just crazy. It's, it's fun. It's historic. Um, you know, it's, it's a matter now of, I think, you know, not if or when. You know, it's, 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 he's going to get to, to, uh, to A-Rod, and then, you know, the, the – the pressure's on to get to 700, which makes it just so much fun. It's just, it's crazy. And to think that he's doing this with the eight home runs this month at the age of 42 is just, it's just remarkable. And I guess you get to a point where you never doubt the man. And I, I've said that now for a long time. I, I never doubt him. He rises to the occasion. And I was talking to Barry Larkin yesterday, the Reds Hall of Famer. And he's like, how is he doing this? And I, I said, I don't know, man. I said, it just, there are certain guys that I think feed off the pressure and the emotion and the crowd and, He's the best I've ever seen at it. So I, I never doubt him, and it's going to be a fun stretch run. Speaking of the stretch run, we were talking earlier about the the Tyler O'Neill and what he's brought to this offense. Two home runs last night. What have you seen from him, and, and how much more can he help this offense going forward? Well, remember last year, Kerry, he exploded once August hit and didn't cool off until the year ended. August and September of last year, he had 318 with 17 home runs. And sometimes guys get off to slow start and they finish quickly, and maybe that's going to be kind of the trajectory of, of Tyler O'Neill. But I, I think his at-bats have been better, and I think that you're seeing a guy with confidence too. And when you have confidence with a guy that's got his natural ability, um, you should have success. And I, I do believe that's what we're seeing right now. They put him in spots to, to say, hey, we're sticking with you, and they've stuck with him a long time now this year. We're waiting for him to – kind of get back to the player that he was and now we're seeing it. So I think a lot of it has to do with just his confidence and the fact that maybe it's this time of year that he starts to get hot. We were listening to Ali talk about uh, Tyler O'Neill staying off the high fastball and that kind of, I guess, helping him and assisting him going in the right direction. Have you seen that as well? Just better eye discipline at the plate and not taking shots at, at pitches that he, he feels that he can hit out, but not able to. I think that's part of it. I also think he's letting the ball get a little bit deeper, um, and so he's a little bit more patient at the plate. I think we've seen him draw walks, and I, I think any time you, you look at somebody that's drawing walks is usually a batter that is very confident and a guy that is seeing the ball to where that means it's going to be success when they swing the bat. So I do think he's laying off that that high pitch, which is something that we talk about a lot with him. Also, he's laying off a slider low and away, which is a pitch from a right-hander he'll pull off of at times. And sometimes I think you get 
to the point where he lets the ball get deep, almost too deep, and and he's doing that now. But his ability to take the ball the other way is something that you cannot overlook. But if he gets a pitch to drive, let it rip. And I think that's something that we're seeing with him too. Dan, a couple of uh, RBIs last night, two for four performance from Nolan Arenado. At this point, is it fair to say the top two National League MVP candidates are on the Cardinals with Arenado and Goldie? Yeah, it's funny you say that. I mean, I was going to bring that up tonight, is that Arenado's got a chance to maybe be in that conversation as much as Goldie. Now, I, I think Goldie right now is is the, the leader in the clubhouse, but I, I think you'd have to look at Mookie Betts still. I think Austin Riley would be in that conversation. I also think that you, you got to look at the Mets and the success that they've had and Pete Alonso and the runs batted in. But uh, in terms of what these guys are doing, I mean, they've combined, both of them have a seven war. And they're even right now going into play tonight. National League position players in Major League Baseball. Goldie at seven, Arnato seven. Betts is at 5.7. Um, so I, I just think that that... When you have a guy that does it in New York when you're having success, a lot of attention is put on that player. So that is something to keep in mind. Same thing with L.A. um, because of the big markets. But I don't think you can overlook what Goldie's done. I mean, you look at the the triple crown crown categories, and that stands out, and and that's great. But, man, look at everything else. The on-base percentage, the slug, you know, those kind of things. The OPS, um, he's number one. So, to me, he's got to be the leader in the clubhouse right now. But – but Arenado is going to be in that conversation. Also, if people can po- please just politely stop citing any of the defensive metrics that show that Goldie's not a good defender, that would be great because they're nonsense. Uh, Dan, I did Who also... Who said that? Huh? <laughs> Who would say that? The, the metrics, man, I, I don't understand it. It's the first base thing. It, it, they're just flatly wrong. I mean, we watch it on a yeah, night you're out of your basis. mind if you think that. Yeah, you're dude. out of your mind. That guy... He has the the thing that you have to consider, and for those of you that went through the Jose Martinez era at first base, think about that. Go back to that, and and I'm not trying to rip on Jose Martinez. He was an outfielder trying to play first base, but the the level of confidence that an infielder has, knowing that Goldie is there, is so that may not show up. But the fact is, you throw it low, you throw it high, you throw it up the right field line, and he stretches and puts his body parallel to the ground. You can't measure that. And so he has made everybody better on the infield. So, yeah, you can talk about range and all that other stuff. (laughs) Throw it out, okay, because this guy's awesome, and he should win the gold glove this year. Danny, that's a question I got for you. Are, are you an analytics guy? Are you are you heavily into the analytics, or do you do you use some of the uh, you know the the old metrics, the eye test, and and who the batter is or who the player is, and and what the situation accounts for in that moment? Uh, I'm both because I, I do think that there's a place for analytics um, without question, and you can look at you know like. Genesis Cabrera, okay, is a great example. People say, well, why, you know, what's going on here? He's, he's throwing 96 to 98 and he's getting a hit. Look at his spin rate, though. His spin rate has dropped considerably, and the drop in the tilt on his breaking ball is not where it was. So when you sit there and look at that and you say, why, why is this happening? There's something of a tangible number that you can look at and say, this is what's going on. Wainwright's a good example with his curveball. You can say, man, he's so good. What, what's going on here? Well, look at his spin rate on his curveball. It's off the charts. It's still elite. 
Um, and guys have to account for that when they're at the plate and there's a, uh, a count of three and two and he drops in a curveball, it drops, you know, a foot. So those kind of things I think are tangible. I, I do. And one of the conversation, part of the conversation I had with Barry Larkin yesterday was that, cause he was like, how are you guys finding these guys? He, he's like Brendan Donovan. He said, uh, you know, this Tommy Edmond kid, this kid over so here, that, Newbar. <laughs> Lars Newbar was the other one. He's like, how does this happen? And I give the organization a ton of credit because they find players and they look at the metrics of them, but yet there still is an old school approach in how they handle human beings. And so there was a year in which Gary LaRock, who runs a minor league system, had over 50% of the players jump a level, moved up a level. And so that's the human side of the carrot that's dangled in front of a human being to say, hey, you you perform we're going to we're going to uh, reward you and get you to the major leagues we'll get you from single a to double a and then you're just a call away so i i think there's a little bit of both that's involved in this certainly they're an analytically based uh, organization but there's just the the part of having a feel for human beings too and being able to to measure both and and come up with the best scenario for that player and for the organization Dan, we'll get you out of here on this one. Danny Mack is our guest here on 101 ESPN. It's our first opportunity to talk to you coming off of that big weekend against Atlanta. I I loved the way that they won those games on Saturday and Sunday, the come-from-behind victories. I mean, that place was absolutely electric. I was able to get down to Bush Stadium for both days. What was your biggest takeaway from the Cardinals' series win against Atlanta? Coming from behind, what, what you mentioned. I think they have now 29 of those this year. Um, and the fashion in which they did it. I, I think that is the sign of a team that is rolling and a team that is playing with uh, confidence and a team that can compete with the big boys. And I, uh, I'm i still bullish on the Braves. I think they're the best team in the National League. Now, if you said what would happen in a short series and you you face the Mets, I'd say you'd be in trouble because the Scherzer and DeGrom. But I don't see a lot of holes with this Atlanta team. So the fact that they came back in those games and came from behind and won those games that to me um represents a lot and so yeah they're in a soft spot of the schedule right now starting last night the next 13 or um against sub 500 teams and this is where you separate yourself but uh showing that you can compete with these teams and come from behind late that is what is important and uh and that's what i liked about this team and what i love about this team going forward is just their ability to now feel like um, they're in every game. And I I can't say that I felt that way at the beginning of the season. I felt like the Cardinals needed to grab early leads, which they did a lot. Um, And they're also getting it from different, you know, different areas of the lineup that are producing Donovan new It's not just Goldie and Arnato. And that's the other thing that stood out over the weekend emergence of Tyler O'Neill. But the fact that you can come from behind and beat these teams, that is the sign of a very good team. Dan, we appreciate the time as always, man. You enjoy calling the game tonight with, I'm sure there will be dozens, dozens of people that are in those stands <laughs> out there in Cincinnati. We'll talk with you again next week, my friend. All right, buddy. Thanks. You got Good it. That's Danny Mack joining us here on 101 ESP. And the announced attendance last night was 11,051. <laughs> I didn't mean to laugh before you announced that, before you said that. I just had a feeling it, was, it wasn't going to be. 
be good. He, he, he spoke about Barry Larkin. They're one of my favorite Reds of all time. Chris Sabo, another one. I wore goggles and played third base. So I was I, about I, to say, that's, that's hey, deep that, cut. That, yeah, and, and Rob Dibble. I, I, those three guys, my guys. Rob Dibble coming on the mound, just the aggression and anger. Now, Barry and Larkin makes a lot of sense. Chris that, Sabo that is an all-time credit. Yeah, count them in as well. <laughs> You wore go- goggles? I wore goggles, yeah. I had to. I couldn't see anything, BK. Listen. Did you wear them when you played basketball, too? Yeah, for a little while. Really? Yeah, until I realized they, <laughs> you, were, you know the you worst thing about Grant oh, out there? Yeah. The worst thing about goggles is they fog up, so you got to take them off anyways. So I, after after about the fourth or fifth grade, I said, you know what the hell with these things? I can't see anyways. I might as well play without Were you a post player? Or uh, yeah, basketball post. Uh, baseball, I played third base, played catcher, but I definitely, Chris Sabo was my, he made it cool. He made it okay for well, me to go out there well. and wear my goggles <laughs> at third base, and nobody would say anything. He's Kerry Davis. He won a Super Bowl champion, so he's earned the right to wear the <laughs> goggles now. That's Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll hit the rewind in 15 minutes, but coming up next, what is going on out in San Francisco? I like Trey Lance. Do the 49ers like him? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. NFL quick hitters we're going to give you a chance to win Luke Bryan tickets coming up here in about 10 minutes or so so stay tuned we'll get to that coming up in 10 minutes but right now some NFL quick hitters including cut down day in the NFL carry for a lot of NFL fans this is a great day you yeah. know the final 53 man roster is going to be set we are now a week away from the start of the NFL season it is a very exciting time for NFL fans yeah what's today like for players for, for for players or for players that know they're going to get cut or feel like they may be for cut. players on have, that on the bubble on the bubble I have a I have a few stories um, one being my time in Tampa it is it, it's it's very nerve wracking when the hard knocks came out when it started a few years back and everyone was so excited about it and oh man we get to see inside footage of people losing their jobs yay. For me, there was no excitement in it. It brought back dreadful memories. It was like I, I was in the moment again. You had like because, cold swats oh, going. Yeah, because you, you, as a player, you control what you can control, and you do everything you can to to make that team and, and feel as though you've done your job. So my time in Tampa, I felt like I had done everything I was supposed to do. I led the league in preseason rushing. I did not even play, play in the final preseason game. And so on the way home, I'm sitting next to Rondé Barber, and I'm I'm asking him, I'm like, bro, I didn't play tonight. Why? He said, because you, you're good. Yeah, because That's the, the, what that means, the mindset yeah. is, you know, starters don't. This is when you have four preseason yeah. games. Starters don't play in the final preseason game. Guys that they know are going to be on the team don't play in those games. And so I thought to myself, wow, okay, I'm good. Let's fast forward to, to the next day. That was Friday or Saturday. Sunday would be cut day, right? They say, we're going to call you before 4 p.m. if we cut you. So around, it's already a stressful day. I'm, I'm, I'm antsy walking around my, my, my room and my hotel room going crazy. Around 2 o'clock, I said, you know what? I got to burn some of this energy. I'm going to go, go to the mall and just walk. So I walk around. Carrie became Three a mall walker at oh, the yeah. age of 27. I'm not even <laughs> buying anything. I'm just walking. 3 o'clock, oh, oh, still no call. 3.15, it's getting, getting better. 3.45, wow. Carrie's right. starting to speed walk yeah, at the yeah. mall now. 4 o'clock hits, I'm like, Oh my God! I I looked at my clock. It was four, my watch. It was four o three. I said, Oh, 
I made it. I'm in there. 4.15, I get a call. Yeah, we need to see you. What? This is not what you all told me. You didn't tell me 4.15. You told me 4 p.m. And so you go from sheer excitement to, oh, the world just ended. And and now you're crashed and, and, and you don't know what to do. So for me and for players in that position, cut day is not a great day. It's not... NFL fans, sure, yeah. We finally get our 53 men. We know <laughs> there are 20 of them that are going to go home yep. and have to figure out what they're going to do with their life. So a different day that might might be similar in terms of the dread, but not quite the same amount. Do you have any rookie dinners when you were in uh, the yeah. NFL? Yeah, yeah. I, I've been a part of a few. I was an undrafted rookie, so there's no way in hell anybody was going to sure. force me to pay that much money. So the reason I ask this is because in Kansas City – the wide receivers went out for their rookie di- rookie dinner yeah. last week. Sky Moore is their second round pick. He's going to be the one that has to pick up the bill, right? Yeah. So Marquez Valdez Scantling apparently had this happen to him when he was drafted out in Green Bay. All of the veterans out there, they pull a prank on the rookie wide receiver uh-huh. where they get the bill, but they they take care of it. But they get the bill from the uh, from the server and say, mm-hmm. hey put a crazy amount of money on this <laughs> like just something astronomical i don't even care what the number is so for sky Moore, the bill was 24 grand oh yeah said twenty two thousand dollars in food two grand in wine that's what apparently they had consumed that night so they bring it out to sky Moore. they take his uh credit card they take it back they say sir i'm really sorry but your card's been declined <laughs> And apparently Sky Moore had to call his bank to check to see, do I have like, he thought he had that amount of funds in the, in the, in the bank. They said, yeah, you're, you should be good to go. Go ahead and have them charge it again. So they take it back. They say, sorry, sir, but the same thing has happened, has taken place. This goes on for a good five, 10 minutes. And then Marquez Valdez scaling says, Hey man, we, we got you. We got you taken care of. Don't even worry about, but I was curious if this is something that you had seen done I, elsewhere. I, I will tell you, those are very good teammates because, and I, and I will tell you, it was probably $20,000 in beverages sure, and $2,000 yeah, yeah, around because the, the, it can get outrageous with the, the amount of alcohol that is consumed just by the price, not the actual drink. Um, those are very good teammates to take care of it. I've seen the opposite happen. I've been to rookie dinners where there was almost a fight when the rookie got his bill. Really? Oh, yes, indeed. Because it comes to a point where it's just obscene and you're doing too much. I, they, they, they buy a, a bottle of Louis 15 or whatever that is, and, yeah. and they're pouring it out, not even drinking it. And, and a shot of that is $800. Yeah. The bottle itself is uh, $2,000, 2500 something like that, maybe more. And so almost a fist fight amongst teammates because of the, the, the lack of respect for other people's Ooh. finances. Even though you're a rookie, even though you know how much money you're going to make, spending that much money on a dinner is is absurd. And in that situation, Ben got the check. He took care of it. No fist fight amongst this group. <laughs> Let's go home. Let's get ready for practice in the morning. And we will have a good time. And we'll forget that this happened. Now, those two gentlemen never forgot that it happened. Oh, and sure. That lingered for a little while. So, you just got to be careful. Those were good teammates in Kansas City because to have your rookie, no matter what round you're picked in, it's not teaching you great financial, you know, how to handle your finances properly when you have somebody paying $20,000. So, in real NFL news, big story in the NFL yesterday was the 49ers deciding to sign Jimmy Garoppolo to a one-year, they restructured his deal, guaranteed $6.5 million contract. 
He's not going to be traded, at least not right now. He's going to be their backup quarterback, or at least that's the expectation, with Trey Lance as the starter, their first-round pick from a year ago. Here's Adam Schefter on what this means for their plans going into the season. I'm telling you the plan, if Trey Lance is healthy, is to have Trey Lance at quarterback. He's their quarterback. Jimmy's the two. They've made it clear that they moved on to him. This is a matter of the 49ers and Jimmy Garoppolo basically deciding that this is their best option for both sides right now. Do you believe it? I believe that they were not able to find a suitor to trade Jimmy G. They did not want to let him go for nothing. And in Jimmy G's, you know, in his defense, signing for was $6.5 million mm-hmm. when he was owed 16 I believe. If I'm him, I probably don't do it. I, I mean, I know even though his money was not guaranteed, they, he had to be on the roster in order for it to be guaranteed. I don't think that I do it, but there may be something in him that they know that he sees in Trey Lance that the, the 49ers organization sees as well. If things don't go well, we can still have this guy come in and provide great services to get us to where we need to be because he's done it for so long. We're taking a chance on Trey. We believe in him, but maybe not as much as we'd like you all to believe we believe in him. So keeping keeping Jimmy G around is kind of the, the ultimate security blanket in case things go haywire early in the season. You can plug Jimmy G back in and get going. Yeah, I really like the move by the 49ers to keep Jimmy Garoppolo around on this restructure deal because I'm not sold on Trey Lance. I think the 49ers announced yesterday we're not 100% bought in on Trey Lance. We think he's the guy, but we really want, as Kerry said, we want that security blanket behind him as well. I I think this says kind of what Schefter said. I do think they believe that Lance is the guy, but I think they really wanted to have that security blanket. Like you look at teams that have these rookie quarterbacks, Ryan Tannehill, who's the guy who's got Malik Willis behind him, but you have Tannehill as a security blanket if you were to start Willis week one. Kenny Pickett, same thing. It looks like Pittsburgh's not going to start him week one, but if you did, you had a security blanket and Mitchell Trubisky. I like this move from the 49ers. I think it does sell a little bit that they're a little lower on Lance than we all thought, but I think it's a smart move by them. I think it says a lot about what they feel about Trey Lance. Because if they thought he was the guy, you don't keep the guy that was there around just in case. You go forward with one of your other guys. You may have drafted someone. You go with, go with, with, with who else is on the roster. Because that is going to uh, is going to cause an issue in that locker room if Trey does not perform yep. well. Because we know who Jimmy G is. He's been here. He's done it. NFC Championship games, Super Bowls. We know who he is and what he is. If Trey is not performing at a at a high level or high enough level for this offense to be successful, the move to bring Jimmy G back in, there will be some growing concern in that locker room where everybody will be speaking and it will be an everyone will know what needs to happen. Whether or not they say it or do it will be another thing. Can you go back from that move? Not this year, but like next year. Like Grapple is up at the end of the year. If Lance struggles and Grapple takes back that job, can you really go into the following season and say Lance is our guy? After even though last year we showed we didn't trust him and ended up going back to Jimmy G? You have to go with what wins and who wins. And if Jimmy G is the one that continue to win, can continue to win for your, your organization, then that's where you're going to go. You were with, briefly, Kyle Shanahan, weren't you? Yes. In Tampa? In uh, Washington, D.C. Washington. I'm trying to think of the best way to frame this. Okay. Kyle Shanahan gets, um, it can be difficult for quarterbacks. Correct. I'm very curious to see how he and Trey Lance's relationship goes early on in the season. Because if Lance starts to show those signs of, oh, maybe this isn't quite what we were looking for. 
I'll be curious to see what what Shanahan decides to do there. Well, this I, is a big spot for him. I don't think. And they, I love Shanahan, but I think they add an element with Trey Lance as far as mobility. They can boom, sure. roll. You know, they can have uh, quarterback plays, run plays. You know, drawn up, and and they can use that kind of similar to what what Baltimore does with Lamar. You add an extra element that that Jimmy G does not provide now. What at the end of the day you have to do as a quarterback is be a quarterback. You have to stand in the pocket and make the throws to the right people to get pick up first downs, to get first to get touchdowns. And if you are not able to do that, all that the, the other things that you're capable of doing, you know, kind of go out the window. Because at the end of the day, third and six, third and eight, I gotta pass the ball to get a first down. You have to know where the ball needs to go and to get it to the right people on time so that we can get the yardage and keep, keep, the, keep the chains moving. He's Kerry Davis, Super Bowl champion. That's Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. On the other side, we'll give you a chance to win a pair of tickets to see Luke Bryan next Friday at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater and hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. has your chance to win a pair of free tickets to see Luke Bryan on Friday, September 9th at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. Tickets on sale now, or you can just listen in this week and you'll have a chance to win your pair of tickets right here from 11 to 2. Text right now at 65780 for your free chance to win a, or for your chance rather, to win a free pair of tickets. You also find a bonus chance at 101ESPN.com in the free 101 ESPN app. Here's how you do it. If you are texter number 38 at 65780, and you can tell us what number Kerry Davis wore in college at Illinois. What number Kerry Davis wore in college at Illinois and you were texture number 38, you are the winner of a free pair of tickets to see Luke Bryan next Friday night. If you've missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you find it. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Carrie, this has been awesome, man. We'll do this again tomorrow. Looking forward to it. For Carrie Davis, he's a Super Bowl champion. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane's coming up next right here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.